Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, January 9th. It's time for the Power Hour. We're getting the team in here from Pittsburgh Power right now. We should have Bruce and Pete and Leroy joining us. We're going to open the phone lines right now. Jump in and join us. Those phone lines will get busy. They always do. The number to join us, 319-527-6791. If you've got the app open, you can hit the call button on the app. That will get you in here as well. And uh, it's all maintenance all day today. If you've got a question about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. Uh, We're getting the team in here right now. I don't have anything to open with today. Uh, nothing major anyway, a couple little things I might talk about. So we, uh, we'll get started right off the bat with Bruce this morning. Bruce, you're first up. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Kevin. What, uh, what's on your mind this week? One degree here in Colorado. So uh, it's a cold day today. One degree. One degree. That's cold. And no sun. That's I'm cold. chasing sunshine and I'm not finding it. We don't have it in the east and we don't have it in the west. So yeah. We don't have any here either. Probably so we're down in Mexico. We're not hoarding it. You don't have sun either? No, we're getting all kinds of rain. And if it was two degrees colder, we would be getting buried in snow. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's about 34 <laughs> degrees and so, just raining like crazy. I have retired doctor staying with me. He's been a friend since about 2016. Met him boating in the Chesapeake Bay. And he does his own investing. And so every morning, you know, he's on looking at the, on his computer, looking at the stock market. So when I walk over and I look at all these numbers, it doesn't mean a lot to me because I've never studied it, right? And just, you hire stockbrokers and you think they're going to do a good, good job for you. He is averaging 40 to 45% return on his money. Wow, and he mostly follows mostly follows the standard for the s and p five hundred and that's the largest stock producing companies Bruce, so, Bruce I said, look at Volvo j- trucks just just so you know because I do a lot of investment advice on here for as long as I can remember as long as I've been giving investment advice. My standard response is. You're not going to beat the market. You don't understand the market. You don't have time for the market. Put your money in the S&P 500 and forget about it. Put it in every month and forget about it. And don't waste any time on it. It's really that easy. Yeah. Okay. Well, here you go. Five years ago, when Trump was president, Volvo return was 93.8%. Pretty good. That's right? that's incredible. Yeah, I mean that's what Packard. Packard five years ago was returning one hundred and seventy two point four percent. Hold on, Bruce. We we got now. I, hold on, because something's not going to make sense here unless we've got one more piece of information. And I don't know if you've got it or not. We'd have to have a time frame for that. That that's not that that is so out of the norm that I'd have to know what time frame we're talking about there where a, a truck manufacturer stock returned that kind of money. Okay. So, past year, Packard was 48.8. 
Three-year average was 76. Five years was 172. So here's what's interesting. Hold on. Here's what's interesting with Bobo. Again, we have to state these numbers correctly. Um, So what I think they're saying is that three-year of 71% is over the entire three-year period. That's not an annual return, which is fine. We just have to understand which way we're talking about it. And then that 170-something mm-hmm. is the return had you bought that stock five years ago and held it till today. Now, that's still an incredible return. But most of the time yeah. when we talk about returns, we talk about annual. So I just want to make sure everybody understands that those numbers, that mm-hmm. was a total year return, the first number, three-year return. You had to hold that stock for three years to get that much return, and then you had to hold it for five to get the other. That is still, a, if you knew you could get those kind of returns, you, I mean, investing would be drop-dead easy. Those are incredible returns. So, if you would have, uh, that, yeah, you're correct, five years. Right. So, if you would have done Volvo for five years, you'd have made 93.8%. Yeah. So, what I think I'm going to do, I have a boat for sale once I sell it. I think I'm going to try this myself, and I'm going to buy Packard, and I'm going to buy Volvo. Okay. If if it was... Maybe I should look at Freightliner, too, and see what what that is. But it, uh, his advice to me was stay in the market that you know. And, yeah, he's, he's correct, but I'm going to go a little further. If this was anybody else, if this was a caller and I didn't know them, and I really didn't understand their financial situation, I would be doing everything I could to talk them out of this idea. With you, I'm not going to. You're financially stable. You're, you could do this, and it's not going to go wrong either way. But this is not a good idea for the average investor, not even close. And one of the things you said, this guy's a retired doctor. He's intelligent, and he's got all day. And you said he wakes up in the morning, and he starts watching the market. The average investor works and has a family and a life and, and has no time to do the kind of research, and and he is correct. You should start with companies that you understand. Otherwise, you've got a a ton more research to do to try to understand that market. But here's the thing I would ask you. Even though you, you and I understand this market, I could make a guess as to why those returns have been so good the last couple of years. But if anything, right now, I'd be shorting these stocks, not buying them. We had that run up because what else happened during that time? Trucking companies expanded, people bought trucks, new trucking companies got started, truck orders were were through the roof, they couldn't keep up with orders, but that's all done now. That's not gonna happen for quite a while. These stocks are probably gonna take a beating over the next couple of years. You would be far better off to short these stocks rather than buy them. But I don't recommend shorting stocks because it's, the riskiest type of investment you can make. There's no limit to how much you could lose. You could invest a thousand in shorting a stock and lose a hundred thousand. It's it's a crazy when you short stocks. It's a crazy setup. You yeah. can make an awful lot of money if you do it right and you know what you're doing. In fact, I think the most money that was ever made in a single day in the stock market was made by somebody who shorted all the stocks, didn't buy them. 
They shorted them all, and we had a big crash, and they made a gazillion dollars. But I, I, understanding the industry is one thing. You have to understand the financials of that industry as well. And you'd have to understand the difference between trucking company stocks, big brokerage stocks, manufacturer stocks. Um, it's, it's not for the casual investor to be buying stocks like this. That's why I say put your money in the S&P 500 and be done with it. Yeah, the S&P in the five years would have returned to 85%. Which is big. And almost it, much, yeah. much less risk than buying, trying to buy those individual stocks. Sure, in the last seat. 23, S&P was 22.4. That's big. And, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. Anyway, but you're right. I don't really take the time to study this stuff and look at it. And I always have too many things to do. Yeah, but just, just on the surface, when, when we look at it, doesn't it make sense with what we know about the industry that all of those truck manufacturers did really good in the last three years? Well, Volvo went three years ago, was at 2.15, and now they're up to 34, so they're climbing. And it, so it, Packard, so it, it's still showing that things are climbing and trucking. But here's what can happen at any moment. This year, those stocks could have a negative 10% return. If you bought that stock now and held it till next year, you could lose 10, 15, 20%. Just like you can gain that much in a year, you can just as easily lose that much in a year. Okay. All right. What else you got? Uh, I'll have to think about it. Go on. All right. He has some interesting things about the uh, military engines that are available online and uh, well, he, he enlightened me on some things that I didn't realize because I've been looking at these engines too. People take pictures of them, email them to me and different things and uh, yeah. yeah. Is it so? Let's see what Pete has to say. He Pete kind of shocked me. I said, gee Pete, if uh, you and if you didn't know this and I didn't know this, the rest of the world doesn't know it either. It so when it came the, to big cams. All right. Let's uh let's go talk about that. Pete Leroy, good morning, guys. Morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Doing good. What's on your mind today? So lately I've been getting a lot of phone calls with people buying military equipment and or military engines. Now they're buying the trucks and a lot of them are low horsepower. Uh, definitely limited to what you can do with them. I mean, you're getting a good deal, but they're low horsepower. Some don't have turbos on them. The ones that do don't have aftercores. I mean, they're, you get what you pay for. You're yeah, not right. getting the deal you are. Right. Um, but what I've run into just within the last couple of weeks, numerous times, is a guy caught up and, uh, hey, I got this military engine. There was 100 hours on it. Um, we set the pump and injectors. I look at the timing, twin turbo. So I said, oh, yeah, and I just unfortunately assumed it was a MVT engine because of the variable timing. Parts come in, and uh, my brother Pat's like, hey, what do you want to do with these injectors? I'm like, well, they're just flown. They're, you know, top stop injectors. No, they're not. Take a look at them. And they're an oddball step timing injector, but they're not the same injector that was in the more popular 444s. Huh, okay. So then I started looking up, and it's got a different cam, different injectors. Um, and, and we can't do anything with the injectors. We don't have the equipment to do it. We've never seen anything like that. And then, oddly enough, a week later, a guy calls, same CPL number, 
a different customer bought an engine to put in his in his truck because his engine um, had a major failure. Wants to know what Jake's to use. Well, that's not a problem. Let me look that up. Can't find the CPL number. And that's when I looked at the camshaft, and it's got an oddball cam in there. Huh. So Jake Brake makes a couple of universal Jake Brake units for big cams. And you buy the one unit for, like, say, the what they consider a five-bolt valve cover, and that covers all of them from big cam one the whole way up to early big cam four. You change the setting depending on what CPL it is what cams in there. Uh, but on this one, they don't even have a listing for it. So he's potentially just bought an engine that he's not going to be able to put jakes on. He's got to be careful to buy this military equipment. And, and not only that, I was ordering injectors one time, and they said, there's a restriction. I need an engine serum. I'm like, what do you mean there's a restriction? I've bought as many as I wanted before. So I, I get on the phone, and, and we're talking. He goes, oh, I, I misread it. Um, Sometimes they'll say for military use only. He said, there are times that we can't sell your part if it's reserved for the military. So there's a chance when they buy these military engines that the part sales are restricted to the military only. Interesting. Um, it, it almost sounds like that this is one of those things that sounds really good when you first look at the engine and the hours and the price, but... It, you could be buying a whole bunch of problems. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. There's no doubt. You got to be careful and, and, you know, see what you have. To, to, you know, now some of them are really no different than anything else. It's not a problem. It's like, okay, that's a good deal. Yeah. But you really have to know what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. You better be really careful with that. You would think by now, with as many years as Bruce and I have doing this, we would say, oh, we've seen all this before. Right. Because this isn't It's not like it's an X-15. We're like, okay, that just came out. We've never right. seen that issue. Yeah, it's been and around these are engines 30, 30 years. years old. We're yeah. just running into this. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. They do all kinds of weird so stuff in the military. Before, though. And if before you, they buy these engines, they should call Pete. And Pete will look at the camshaft, the injectors, and different things and determine, yes, we can work with this engine, or no, we can't. Because some I think we have been able to work with, that, but uh, maybe some we can't. That would be the determining factor for me. Yeah, I would call, and if you guys said, yep, we can do it, and parts are fairly standard on this one, then I might do it. But um, that's, a, that's a great service to be able to call you guys and check that first. Yep, they're more than welcome to give me a call with an engine serial number, and I can see what they have. Good, good. All right. What else you got? That is it for me today. The shops, um, so we're backed up about two weeks. So if someone needs an appointment, um, we're about two weeks out. Smaller jobs, we can get in a little quicker. Got it. All right. Leroy, wake up. Good morning. Oh, I'm here. There you are. I was waiting to, to chirp in because I have a, a military engine story, too. Well, let's so hear it. I it's one of the, the few engines I've ever detuned. You know, more, most of the time people call and they want to tune. They want more horsepower. Right. So one of the few that I've ever detuned by, you know, more than 50% was a military engine. So it was, it was a school bus with a small C7 engine that was like maybe rated at like 170 horsepower. And it blew up. So they found a military like 7 liter engine online really cheap. And like, well, this is just the way more affordable way to go. Yeah. Well, they put it in there and they didn't realize it was like 380 horsepower. 
and they put this in this school bus, and then it just keeps <laughs> transmissions out. And they're like, oh, yeah, the bus is a rocket ship now, but, you know. It keeps taking transmissions out. And they call me, and they're like, hey, can you can you turn this down? Like, yeah, we can. This is the silliest thing I've ever done. But, uh, so this was a Caterpillar, the C7 Cat, correct? Yeah, and then they found some major tuned-up military version that was all hot-rodded, and they put it in this school bus. Yeah. <laughs> we had to turn it down because it just... Uh, uh, it they like, didn't have a good driver on that school bus. I don't, <laughs> that would have been... That'd have been the fastest bus in the fleet. That would have been great. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Well, I think most school bus drivers are just, you know, people walk off the street. Yeah, it's just real orders. Yeah, foot to the floor, foot to the brake, you know, throttle and brake. Yeah. You have to have like a B license to drive. So you have to have bus? a B license to be a, to drive a bus, but also a school bus license to drive kids. Right. So it's another test you take. Oh, okay. They're they're really strict with who can be. I mean, if you have a DUI, you're not getting a job. If you have any type of criminal record, you're not getting a job. I mean, you, you can be a pedophile and be a teacher, but you can't be a school bus driver and be a pedophile. I mean, they're really strict on school bus drivers. I'm going to have to disagree with you because I know people that are school bus drivers oh. and they are not that strict. <laughs> uh, so that was, uh, that was something I was thinking about while Pete was talking. And then uh, I think we were talking the other day about abuse history and that's uh that's something that we can see inside of an ECM. That's one of those things that we check. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, Kevin, it's, it's going to be the death of me because the truck driver is going gonna, is gonna to kill me one of these days because they're going to say there's nothing wrong with this engine. It's great. I plug into it, and I see in the abuse history, which records all of the overheats or low pressure yeah. or high intake air temp, and it's going to say, you know, it was overheated at 250, and now they want to tune, you know. And they're saying that the engine's fine. It's never yeah. been overheated. Oh, yeah. I can tell you it is. I can see it. You know, that's why we talk about when you're going to buy a truck, hold that full ECM report. And if you don't know how to read it, pay somebody that does know how to read it because there is a lot of good information in there. Did it go out for you, too? I don't hear anything. Uh-oh. I might still be in I can hear. Yeah. Bruce, you're here. Oh, I can hear right? you guys. Kevin, can you hear me? Yeah, and I can hear them, too. So, oh. any insider trading secrets? Yeah. Hey, Pete, Leroy? Le Leroy? Yeah, they're not hearing us. They either need to figure out what went wrong on their end, their equipment, or they just need to reconnect. Um, you know what I might... Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them... So a lot of that stuff's no longer online. Put them back in the screening room. Um, Angie, could you check with Pete and Leroy? I put them in the screening room, and we are hearing them, but they're not hearing us all of a sudden for some reason. And uh, it's either on their end, their equipment, or it's uh, it's just their connection, and they're going to need to reconnect. Um, Bruce, do you have anything else we could? I, ha I have one more thing I forgot sure. to tell Go you. Go ahead. Young lady in a 2018 T680. X15 uh, was put into this truck as a lease purchase with uh, no training. She was at, I, I heard about her. She just got on the, the max mileage fuel borne catalyst. And she was, first time I called her, she was driving at 74 miles an hour. She was in Georgia on her way to deliver in Florida. And it was a Friday late afternoon. I said, 
when are you going to deliver? Monday. Why are we going 74 miles an hour now? <laughs> that, was, that was my first right? thought. Gonna, yeah. Right? I understand if you're, if you have a time delivery and just in time freight, but if, if you've got two days or a day and a half to get to your destination and you're just going to sit and idle, why not just slow it down? 55. So anyway. Really? Why, why not 55? Auto, and she doesn't know the rear gears. It's an auto, auto shift 13 speed. She was 4.4 to 5.6 mile per gallon. Oh, oh, oh. On a yeah, lease no, purchase, she, no, won't, no. she won't make it. Single lady. Single lady. <clears throat> so we started talking about turbo boost. She never thought about turbo boost. But she has a turbo boost gauge in the dash. Didn't know what it meant. So here she has a pretty well-equipped truck. So I got her to start paying attention. And I'm going back to my notes. This was about uh, three weeks ago. And I tried calling her last night. And I'll be back in my office on Thursday. I'm going to get started with her again. But uh, I got her to start looking at the boost gauge. And I got her down to two to five pounds. 1200 RPM at 60 mile an hour and she's driving there and she's averaging 7.6 unbelievable you know this she listened she, yeah she listened and she executed and she did what we said to do and now she's going to come in and get a damper and a balancer and get the DPF cleaned and all that stuff. And we're going to go over this truck and, and do the Hawkeye report and uh, make sure the emissions are okay and put it on the dyno. We're going to straighten this truck out. Excellent. But look at that. 4.4 and 5.6 was her high <sighs> to 7.6. Yeah. That, 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 in today's world, that's $15,000 a year in savings. $15,000 a year. That means it's more than a thousand dollars a month extra. That's, yeah. that, that's the difference between yeah. staying in business and going out of business. Cause I can promise you she's in a lease yeah. purchase. She's getting five miles to the gallon. She wouldn't make it. Or the only reason mm -hmm. she might make it is if she's single she doesn't have a bunch of living expenses and she basically kind of lives out of the truck. She might stay in business, but she's working for minimum wage. I mean, it's just it's it's awful to work that hard and not make any money because she was being so inefficient. So I, I do not have the boost reading at 74 because she didn't know she had a boost gauge. And then when I talked to her a few days later, she says, I do have one. It's right here in front of me. <laughs> so. I had her at 65 miles an hour on the level, averaging nine pounds of boost. And then at 60, she went down to two to five. In at five mile per hour was 100% or 50% less horsepower. Yeah. You know what I'm finding? No, I'm not. Here's what I, because I ran really hard on this, this last trip. I had to get there in a fairly quick amount of time. I really wanted to get home because I'd been out so long. And we always talk about that one mile per hour equals one-tenth of a mile per gallon. And I would say that the upper limit on that equation is probably about 70. After that, because we know aerodynamic drag specifically is not linear, it's exponential. You go 
two miles per hour faster, and the the increase is bigger than that. It's exponential. The, the higher you go, the bigger each step becomes. And what I found, and, you know, until these Western states put these 80-mile-an-hour speed limits out there, we weren't really talking much about going this fast in a truck. But now it's much more common out West to see guys running 75 and 80. And to them, what's a speed limit? I'm not going to get a ticket. But I will tell you what happened when I tried pushing the coach to 80. I was getting less than three and a half miles to the gallon. You get up to those kind of speed and you can feel it. I mean, you just knew that coach was working so much harder to go 80 miles an hour than it does to go 70. And to compare it to 60 uh, is just insane. I mean, it, it, with that transmission, I was up around, I think at 80, I'm up like 18, 1900 RPM, which is there's no way we should be running an Acer at that high all day long. And, and the drag is just incredible. And I, the mm-hmm. fuel mileage just tanks when you start doing anything above 70. The numbers change a lot more. To go from 70 to 75, you're going to lose more than a half mile per gallon. So, you know, I am a man of speed and power, but I got to say, if you're not in a hurry and you just lower down and, and do what Harley Davidson says, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Yeah. Enjoy the ride and get the benefits. Now, if you're late and you're in a hurry, I've seen uh, some owner operators uh, years ago that uh, be in Pittsburgh, and they were loaded for whether it would be Chicago or wherever. Well, I can leave late. I have all this power now. No, no. That's not what the power is about. To leave an hour early and just ease on down the highway and look cool. Years ago, Brad Exton and I were coming from the Boston Truck Show. Brad from Fast Fuels, and he had... uh, I had my 95 Dodge, and he had a 96 or 97, but he had 411 gears, and I had the the 353s or whatever they were. We were in a truck stop talking to an owner-operator. He left 10 minutes ahead of me because he has to go a lot slower with his 411 gears. Both trucks were automatics. I forget how many hours it took me to catch him with that 10-minute head start. And I ran hard, and I finally caught up to him, and I said, wow, it was amazing what 10 minutes can do. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, Bruce, I I, I would add one thing. Slow down when you're not in a hurry. I get that. But you should also do more, especially in an environment like this. Fuel prices are still high. They've been coming down, but they're still traditionally, we would call this high fuel prices and rates are low and there's not as much freight around. So in an environment like this, not only should you slow down when you're not in a hurry, you should start to choose freight so that you're not in a hurry. You know, I hear a lot of guys say, well, I have to run this hard. It's a schedule on the load. Well, don't take that load then. I mean, they're not paying you enough to drive that fast. The rates just aren't worth pushing that hard to get somebody's freight delivered on their schedule. Just find different freight. So these people that are hauling like to the automotive manufacturers, just in time delivery, they don't give them a lot of leeway. And I think that should be renegotiated. And uh, what happens if you get a flat tire? You're going to be that, late. Well, and it doesn't pay enough to rush like that. 
It, it just doesn't. When it does, go ahead and do it. If you've done the math and you know that this rate is so good, I can run 70, 75, whatever I need to do to get there on time, and it's worth it because they're paying enough. Well, that was the case a year ago. There's not a lot of that freight around yeah. anymore. Nobody's paying that much anymore. The rates are down, and, and you have to adjust. That's the other thing. You know, we, we fight to get people to understand a concept, and then we have to tell them, like everything, there's nuance there. You know, what we were saying last year isn't the best advice this year. Business is fluid, and, and you've got to be able to change and adapt and not get stuck in a mode that, well, last year you said this. Well, I know, but that was last year. This is different. Last week is different. You've got to be able to adapt and change when the environment changes. And, you know, we, we had that period there where you could run as hard and fast as you wanted, and you were still making money because rates were good. We're not there anymore. We're probably not going to be there for at least a couple of years, I would imagine. I agree. you got to adapt so, and adjust. Along with helping this girl, we're going to help her ex-father-in-law, and we're going to help another fella. They're all on with the same company. And there's a fella from Southern California, and he's listening. Yeah, he met us at one of your CMCs, a couple CMCs. I think he was in Iowa and Missouri. He managed the school bus system in Southern California, and he took it upon himself to come to your CMC. Wow. For himself. And yet he's not even in the industry. Right, right. Well, yeah, and that's awesome. I was, I was shocked at that. All yeah. Right? And... So he understands management, and he's helping this girl and Excellent. the ex-father-in-law and the other guy. He's, he's getting them to look at your stuff and look at the business side of it. I'm working with them on the driving side and the truck side, so we're double-teaming them. Fantastic. And, and we're going to see how this turns out. Yeah, I love that. I, I get uh, it. You know, I love driving high-performance stuff, and but when you can help somebody go from 4.4 to 7.6, it's very, very rewarding, and, I, and you get the same reward. And, uh, and the same way when a mechanic does a nice job and a person comes back or calls in and says, wow, what you did to my truck was phenomenal. It, it's, it's rewarding, and, and everybody likes to have those rewards, right? Yep. In the military, they had an attaboy coin. You'd get an attaboy coin if you did something outstanding. And, and, um, and uh, those of us that don't get to drive the trucks, we like that attaboy stuff. Yeah. Yep, that's for sure. All right, good stuff. I don't know what happened to uh, – oh, Pete and Leroy are back right now. Pete – Leroy, we're you guys there? Oh, there we are. Oh, All right. Good. Good. We can hear you. We could always hear you. You couldn't hear us for some reason. Yes. Did you enjoy the Pete and Leroy show? We did. We did. We were all sitting back and giggling. We always try to do a good job. Yeah. We appreciate it. What else does anybody have today? I've got one thing. It's not a big deal. Lisa was just showing me a, uh, a travel trailer this morning. Uh, a new company called Lightship. And they are building an incredible travel trailer. I think it's going to fail miserably. Um, I just, I think they, I don't think they understand that market. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, 
this is a travel trailer. So when you say travel trailer, we're talking about something you pull on a bumper hitch, not a fifth wheel. That is the, the, like the cheap end of the market. Th those are the cheapest RVs you can buy. When you move up to a fifth wheel, the cost goes up. So typically in the size they're talking about here, that 30-foot size or so, you're probably looking at thirty to $40,000 to buy one of those new. Now, the, the high end of that market is Airstream, and you would probably pay twice that much for an Airstream. This, at that size, is $150,000. 139 because you're going to get a tax credit, though, which pisses me off because that's our money now. But you're getting a tax credit if you buy this one because it's all electric. The tax credit makes me insane. But so 150000 now instead of forty. Here's the other thing. This, this is a beautiful trailer and very high-tech. Uh, but it's also 7,500 pounds. Now you've just changed the market again because those little travel trailers, you can pull with almost anything. A midsize SUV will usually pull one of those. Now you're up to the heavy-duty pickup market to be able to pull this thing. And I can't imagine that a 7,500-pound towable is all that stable. These are also the most dangerous. These are the ones you see flipped over all the time on the highway, the bumper pulls. So this thing is all electric. It is absolutely stunning. It, Bruce, you know how the pop-up campers, they, they collapse down so they tow real easy, and then when you get there, they, they pop up? Right. This is mm -hmm. similar to that, except the entire shell of this trailer raises up on hydraulics. It expands upward. So when you're pulling it, it collapses down, but it's all hydraulic. It, it's really slick, and it drops down nice and low so it's behind the vehicle. The whole trailer is built really aerodynamic. The entire top of the trailer, including parts of the awnings, all have solar. This thing produces three kilowatts of solar power. That's a lot. And it's the batteries all through the chassis, so everything on it's electric. It even has an electrified axle. So it's got a drive axle on it that, that um, has the, the um, braking to recapture the energy, and then it's a powered axle. This, this thing's pretty darn high tech. Um, I, I just don't think there's a market for this. And I don't think that, that they put an awful lot of expense into being able to drop this thing down and make it smaller and more aerodynamic so you get better fuel economy. But most people that have this size of an RV, it's not like they drive these things back and forth across the country all the time. They might take one vacation a year and the rest of the time they're probably going down to some local campground at the lake. How much money are you really gonna save on fuel pulling this thing? Cause you're not gonna put many miles on it. And that had to be really expensive to have this whole hydraulic system that expands the entire trailer up like that. So I think it's a really cool trailer. I just don't think there's a market for this. There was one years ago called the high low and it did that. The yeah. whole thing would lift up. Yeah, what happened to it, and though? It collapsed down to about four or five foot thick. <laughs> right. That was called, I think what's called high-low. I remember that one, and it didn't make it. 
it's not that that's not a good thing and you do get much better fuel economy when you drop it down, but it's kind of like me. Why, why do I still get five and a half miles to the gallon out of my coach? Why don't I do something about it? I know how because I've done the math. It's not worth it. But all the money I would spend to get better fuel economy, I'd never make it back because I don't put enough miles on it. And I put way more miles on mine than anybody would with a towable like this. So I just think that they've priced themselves out of a market. That 150000 it's almost double what you would pay for an Airstream. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it is. Well, you know. It, it, it is absolutely. Oh, here's the other thing that I, I loved about this. When that top does raise up, it is almost 360 degrees of glass. The views out of this thing, I've never seen an RV that had views like this. But... There's a compromise there, too, because if you've given up all that wall space to put in windows, you've given up a bunch of storage. Yeah. What's the name of the company? I want to Google this after the show. Lightship. L-I-G-H-T? Yeah. Yep. One word, Lightship. RV. Okay. All right. Well, and and what this reminds me of what was the company that had the electrified axle that left Pittsburgh. We did initial testing in our engineering center, and then they went to Austin. Yeah, Hylion. Hylion. And they, they just all of a sudden up and quit? Yeah. They got out of the axle market. They got out of the vehicle market completely. I think they're working on stationary systems. So... They had to be working on this thing for over 10 years. They had it working. Why did they just walk away? I, you know, of all the things we were doing, electric trucks, hydrogen electric, hybrid electric, I thought the powered axle that Hylion was working on made more sense than anything. And you're, I don't know why they walked away too. from it. Of all those things, if anything could have been integrated in right now and maybe started to save us some money and make us more efficient, I thought it was their axle. You throw it on a trailer, you could throw it on a, a truck and make it a six by two. And well, technically, I guess it's still a six by four because that would actually be a driven axle. I, I thought that was a good idea. I thought that was a good interim step. And then out of the blue, they just got out of the business. You know, I actually was feeling bad when they left Pittsburgh because I thought maybe we wanted to get involved. I know. More with them. I know. And, uh, and uh, I thought, well, they're moving to Austin. and, and uh, You know, here, here's part of the problem. They were, work, they were working with investors' money. Well, they, and I guess the investors' money ran out, but why didn't they put it on the market? It, well, here's the other problem I have. I don't care if they work with investor money. That's fine. I'm all for that. But all of these companies are getting tax dollars. I have a problem with that. That's our money. They, all tax money is ours. The government has no money. The government gets all of its money from us. So just like this, this right. crazy high-end travel trailer that I don't even think has a market... They're going to sell some of these. I'm sure of it. When they do, we're paying for a part of that trailer that somebody buys. That's just wrong. And, and because of that, mm -hmm. we end up with these companies that have great ideas, but they have all this extra cash coming from the government, and they, they fail a lot. And our money is just gone. Like you said, they worked on this Axel project for probably 10 years. I bet they got a, got a lot of government money doing it, and then it doesn't work out, and all, all that money is just wasted. But it 
was working. It, it, it was working. I That's get that. But obviously, it, it, something went wrong. Why aren't we putting these things on trailers? We either didn't get it to the point where it was efficient or it wasn't cost effective. I don't know. Um, but you have to believe that they got out of that market for some reason. They saw something wasn't working. Did they get bought out? I don't think so. I don't remember any. Maybe they did, but I, I, I was following them fairly close, and I don't remember hearing anything like that. Yeah, for some reason, I was thinking they, they got bought out, but it might have been another company. That's yeah. I was thinking him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I... Uh, I tried calling a company that this was a husband and wife team out of Idaho made this beautiful pack, uh, hard plastic, one latch to open it from the back of the snowmobile. And, and I wanted to take the one I had on my 17 and put on my 24. And I just needed four little brackets that rivet to the side. And I called the number no longer in service. So yeah. I Googled it. Yeah, they were sold out. They, a company bought them. Well, the company that bought them won't answer the phone and return phone calls. Why would you buy a company, pay money for a company, and then not service the customers or answer the phone to sell the product? You know, one of the reasons? It just. It just I'll why? give you an example that we dealt with. Uh, Tesla bought Maxwell Industries. Maxwell Industries is a huge global company with all kinds of products. Tesla was interested in, you know, specific stuff, and they just let the capacitor go. They just stopped producing it, stopped servicing it, stopped anything. It, that, that product, the Maxwell start module, is just gone. But it, it was because Tesla bought the whole company, and they had no interest in that start module. But this was a... A husband and wife. Yeah, that seems a little crazy. One product right. company. Yeah, that seems odd. Although sometimes, and I don't know the story here, another reason, sometimes companies buy competitors just to get them out of the business. That was basically why ATBS bought my accounting company. They didn't really care about the accounting company. It, it was only a small amount of clients compared to how big they already were. They they weren't paying for the clients they were paying, so we weren't competing with them anymore. So okay. who knows? All right. All right. Let's uh, let's go back to the calls. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Uh, that travel trailer for one, I, the hydraulic lifted up, let it down. I can just see what's going to happen. Someone's going to the campsite and they're not going to be on the level and the damn thing going to go up cockeyed and get all jammed up. And it's like, oh, it won't go up and it won't come down. What do we do well, now? Well, I have talked about, David Counts and I were just talking about this the other day. Um, we kind of did an RV show the other day, David and I did. We didn't have a lot of callers for some yeah. reason, and we just started talking about RVs. Uh, slides are the biggest maintenance issue on every RV. They leak. They, they are a big problem, but everybody loves them because it gives you so much more space. This is basically a slide that goes up and down instead of down, out. Up and down. It, it, it's, it's going to yeah. be more of a problem unless they really did an amazing job engineering this. I, I could see this being a maintenance issue. Yeah, so, okay, back to trucking. Yeah. So I have a, I had a code pop up, 4364 FM 
I eighteen, I think it was. Uh, I googled it. Knock sensor. So, what causes a knock sensor to go bad, or what? Or is it? I don't know how old it is. They or they just take a shit because they can. So. Got knocked on too many times, Paul. What's that? It got knocked on too many times. It's like an aluminum piston. Uh-huh. You can only knock on an aluminum piston so many times it's going to fail you. And so you just knocked on it too many times. And I'm just being, I'm just being yeah. a smart ass here. So, That's Leroy. Right. Well, you said the code was for knock sensor, but knock sensor what? Uh, it. I don't. I don't know. That's the code that come up on the dashboard, but it just said knock sensor when I googled it. But I don't. I don't know if it's inlet or the outlet or what. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be. It could be the the circuit that connects to it. Whether it's you know losing voltage. That's the voltage supply to the sensor. It could be the CAN bus connection to it. It could be, you know, the sensor itself. So it's kind of hard to say what what it is, but if it is just the knock sensor that went bad, the biggest source of failure on those is contamination, whether it's by water or something else. Uh, the o- It's kind of like an O2 sensor where there's like sort of like a little mini pump inside, and if that breaks down, then the, the knock sensor will drift. But that usually doesn't happen for like 200,000 miles. Uh, I, probably have, I probably have that many miles or more, so yeah. I, I guess I'll be going to the fix-it guy, so... So, Leroy, what you just said, when a person calls and said they've replaced the same sensor three times, and the chances are it's not the sensor, but it's what's feeding the sensor. Yeah, I mean, when you just give a like a sort of generic fault code and you just say it's knock sensor, I mean, the, there can be, you know, 14 different fault codes just for an inlet knock sensor. Um, and without any sort of more information, it's hard to say whether it's the sensor the wiring that goes to it, the CAN bus, like it can be a couple of different things, but it just needs to be a little bit more specific. Okay. Well, I guess, I guess so I'll be me- going to the repair shop. So. Yeah. So the message here is just because it says a sensor doesn't mean it's the sensor. It's all the other things that you oh, yeah, just no, mentioned. Oh, yeah. What's the CAN bus? Uh, that's the communication link between the sensor itself and the ECM or the after treatment controller. So the sensors use the, the data link because it would reduce the number of wires you have to have on a truck. If it was a purely analog sensor, sort of, I guess another word for analog would be just an old sensor, you'd probably have you know, 10, 20 wires inside of every knock sensor. But when you use the communication link, you can only use four wires. So it really cuts down on the amount of wiring that you would have on the truck. Uh, improves reliability. There's a lot of benefits to doing a communicated smart sensor for analog. Leroy, do you feel the trucks that just stay in the south all the time versus the northern trucks have less wiring issues? Um, I, I wouldn't say that, no. I would think that they would okay. have about them. If you... If you were an owner-operator and ran mostly in the north where there's salt and mag chloride, is there anything different you would do? Mm, yeah, would I mean, you try to get underneath the truck and pressure wash it more often or take connectors apart and put the dielectric grease in? or what, what would you do to make your system better? Well, for one, I probably would. Or to keep your truck running. 
I, I probably wouldn't pressure wash because sometimes the, the high pressure water can get in the connectors that were originally waterproof uh, or weatherproof, but they're sort of designed to only hand, handle a small amount of like, like I say water pressure. Yeah, they're used to just getting splashed on or maybe dipped in water, not blasted with high pressure water. So, yeah, you could use maybe a garden hose that's not as as bad. I would probably do that. And as far as tearing connectors apart and resealing them, that can be a good and bad thing because sometimes it sounds crazy, but um, the connectors will sit for a while and they're actually really hard to get apart. If you've ever tore stuff apart like that, um, the connectors, whether it's like the rubber, um, I don't know. I don't know what the chemical thing is or what's going on, but sometimes connectors that are hard to get apart are actually better. They're more waterproof than ones that get torn apart all the time. Um, they just make a better seal. So if it were me, what I would do different would be, like Bruce said, I would probably hose it off. And I would, I would probably take extra time to maybe you could put uh, extra loom on pieces. Uh, there's, I think there's like a hydrophobic spray that you can get. Have you ever seen that, Pete? No, I have I used not. to do that. On, cause I remember my dad telling me that he would do that to the distributors on the old small blocks. Because like, I used to do like little mud racing back in the day. And we would get like this spray and we would spray all over the distributor so then it wouldn't, you know, misfire when we Help went and waterproof mud. it. Yeah. So I would maybe do something like that to a connector, try to just waterproof it that way. Hey, hey, Leroy. Yeah. Wasn't that distributor cap that you were trying to waterproof older than you are? Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Wonder how many people on here have no idea what a distributor cap is. Kevin, Kevin, when you had your master crafts and I had my skiing antiques and people's boat would sit for a week, then it started up Saturday morning and you're sitting on the water and you had the dampness. Did you ever pull the cap off and see how much water was in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a wonder it worked. I, I'm trying to think of what spray I had. I, it ate the water. I would spray in there and take a paper towel and dry in it and away we went and how many people in our water ski club, they, their boat, would they be running on a few cylinders and they'd make yeah. it to our ski island. And here I came along with my can of spray <laughs> and screwdriver and fixed it for them. There you go. What uh, else you got, I Paul? Had a, uh, I had an old Bonneville oh, um, carburetor cap, and we were working Saturdays here at the, at the old shop, and I got to work till noon. I washed the engine down. They're going to work on it at home or something. But I washed the engine down and fired up. You know, it was running fine. I got from our shop in Cheswick to New Ken and started misfiring and just wouldn't go. So I, I pulled up to the side street. And fortunately, things were easy to get to. I, I, the air trainer off, which covered most of the engine, and popped the distributor cap open, and a drip of water, a drop of water fell out. And that's all it took. Yeah. Cut it out. It immediately dried <laughs> up. Put it back on. Back on the road. Um, like nothing happened. I yeah. don't think I was down 10. Those days are long gone. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah they are. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's some sort of hydrophobic, like, spray that they put on stuff that just makes the, like, water just quick off. Sort of like a Rain-X sort of, like, spray. Yeah. Um, and you can get stuff like that and spray on connectors, keep water out of it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, bat I'm battling the wind today, but in about 20 miles' time, when I make a left, and it'll be blowing down on my tail for a change. So 
I'll be good for 120 miles with the tailwind. So. There you go. So, right, I'll let you carry on. Thank All right. Much. Have a good day. Let's go to Montana. Brant, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? I, uh, I got a problem with a D-Deck 4 Series 60. I got, I got coolant in my oil, and before I realized what was going on, I got a knock, and with my hearing, I couldn't decipher whether it was an injector knock or a rod knock or an exhaust leak. And I, I knew I was making oil, and I thought I had an injector problem. Turns out I wasn't. I was making oil, but it wasn't an injector problem. It was coolant. And I tore up number three rod bearing and the crank. And so upon disassembly of the rest of the engine, I was expecting to find a bad head gasket, and I didn't. The head gasket's in good shape. And actually, everything I found so far is in good shape, except for the main bearings and the one bad rod bearing. I, I guess I'm asking to see if where else would I be good. would I be getting coolant? Now I sent an good. analysis in about a week and a half before this failure happened, and it I never got the analysis back, and I never got it back. The engine failed. I called them eventually, like four weeks after the engine failed, and that's when I saw all the coolant in the oil, and that's when I realized that, you know, it was a coolant that was an issue, not necessarily an injector or fuel dilution. The fuel dilution was next to zero. So anyway, uh, I'm thinking it might be my air compressor that failed and pushed coolant into the oil, but I don't know how to test that. That, and I don't oil cooler, and did you pull the liners out? I was just going to say, wouldn't this? No, could, I, this could be cavitation in the liners. I haven't pulled the liners out. Yeah, yeah I haven't pulled the you liners need, out. Pull the liners out and inspect the O-rings and make sure none of them are cut or got hard and flat. Pete, what else makes the O-rings on the liners, the liner packing, fail? Boy, heat. Overheat can cause it. Um, if you're not keeping up with the antifreeze, you have water in it that can deteriorate. But part, so one of the mistakes well, you made was not trying to find the problem before you tear it down. So well, I, I didn't know I had a. I didn't know I had a problem. But, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I didn't well, know I had a problem until I had a knock. That's let, when well, I realized I had the problem. Let, hold yeah, on. So let, I did. Let, I, let's I did go back a second. The coolant system. Let, let, uh, I. I tried to pressure up the coolant system and see where it was coming from or leaking from, and I couldn't see any. I had the pan off, and there was no nothing getting past what what were would have been the cylinder seals, the liner seals. Brand, uh, but I, I I don't know if I pressured it up enough. I pressured it up to eleven. Cool. Let's go back a second cool. here. Let's go back a second. At okay. one point, you said right. you, you knew you were making oil, and you thought it might have been fuel. Here, here's a rule of thumb. If, you, if the level on your stick is going up, like you're making oil is what you said, you knew you were making oil, whether it's fuel or coolant, if it is noticeable on the stick, you have got a big problem. If it's noticeable well, on the stick, we didn't even need an oil sample to figure out that something was wrong, whether it's fuel or coolant. That's a problem. That, that's an engine you shouldn't run until you figure it out. 
Well, I, I only went six miles because the knock got so bad that I'm like, I can't drive it anymore. So I only went six miles after I noticed it was making oil. Got it. Yeah. So when you have a problem like you're, you're experiencing, seldom is a blown head gasket going to cause coolant to get into the oil. It would have to breach two passageways. You've you, you got your compression. So it'd have to breach a water passage and an oil passage to get coolant in the oil. Um, normally, when you have a blown head gasket, you pressurize the radiator. Right. You have coolant in the oil. So, you know, if, if the truck was here, first thing we'd do is um, pull the injectors out and pressurize the radiator and see if it's leaking through the injector tubes. Um, there's copper injector seats at the bottom of the head that can leak. So that's one place we would look. Uh, second place, pull off the intake and exhaust manifold. Is there any cracks in the intake or exhaust port? Sometimes there, there are. Now, keep in mind, we're doing kind of a static test. You have an engine sitting still with 10, 12 pounds of pressure on a radiator. Going down the road, the water pump pressure is like 35 PSI. You have heat. You've got um, expansion going on. You have vibrations. So you can do all these tests and nothing show up. It doesn't mean you don't have a problem. It just didn't show up in the testing you did. Um, once we check the intake and exhaust ports, the next step is to drop the pan. And is the water coming between the block and liner? Is it between, coming between the liner and pistons, which could be a cracked piston or porosity or you know, uh, cylinder head? Any of that can, can happen. And an air compressor can cause this problem. Uh, but it's tough to determine if it is that. So at, at this point, I would probably just throw an air compressor on it just because they're not terribly expensive and you haven't found a problem. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, because initially, you know, I, I, I thought it was an injector, and then I took it to the shop, and actually the shop that I, was, that I had it towed into uh, diagnosed it as injector number one. And so they put it, I, I carry a spare injector with me. So I, they put the, my spare injector in and they started it up and they said, no, there's another problem. And that's when, I, I don't know how far they got before they decided to pull the pan. And that's when they found that rod bearing number three was all but gone and in little itty bitty pieces in the bottom of my pan. Uh, so, and the, the thing that leads me to the air compressor is I have a, I have a quick connect for a compressor line to hook up with a valve. And when I was getting it off the tow truck, the guy unhooked the quick connect before shutting the valve and a bunch of gunk blew out of my air tank. And so I was like, aha, it's probably the air compressor that caused this failure. And then when I got it home to my, my home mechanic, um, the pan was off. He pressured up the coolant system with the pan off, and he noticed a trickle coming down, a trickle of coolant coming down number six liner on the inside. So it would be in the combustion chamber. It was coming past the rings. There was a little trickle of coolant. And when we got the head off, number six was, was full of coolant and there was coolant in the intake manifold. 
but number six is at the back of the engine, and it's a you know it's got a twenty degree rake to it or so, so it could have come from anywhere and ended up sliding you know gravity taking it back to number six. Yeah. So I, I don't yeah. I, I was Make all, sure I was there's all, not. You, you could have electrolysis, a small hole in that liner, in, in number six, and you could have a crack. And so, if it wasn't the air compressor, then my my next thought would be it would be electrolysis through number six liner. Well. Uh, I I have a wealth of information, but I tried to keep this short. The other thing is, is I just rebuilt this engine this summer. It only has 22,000 miles on it with all new liners. And everything, I did an out of frame, everything is new in the engine except the crank and rods. Now I really feel bad for you. Well, now I need a new wow. crank and and at least one new rod, but I need a new crank because I, I destroyed the... I, I scored up the crank on yeah. on number three rod bearing spot. Where, where, so, what state are you in? Wyoming. Wyoming. Are you gonna, now, did you replace the cylinder head when you did your rebuild? I I put a remand head on it. I didn't I didn't send my head out to be remand. I exchanged it for a remand head. Yeah. That's fine. So I would also try to find a machine shop that can pressure test the head to see what you come up with. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, when I get home yeah. Thursday, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to box it up. There's a machine shop about 200 miles away from my house and I'm going to get it get the head to the machine shop and see if there's a problem with the head. Yeah. Do you live near Cheyenne? Oh, I am exactly opposite Caddy Corner end of the state. I'm about 450 miles from Cheyenne. Oh, wow. Okay. Patrick Anderson, our dealer in Cheyenne, is always a wealth of information, and it might be worth giving him a call. And I would also call down to uh, Western Truck Parts in Henderson, Colorado, see if they have a used engine or a crank. I can give you their phone number if you want to write it down. Okay. Yeah. Patrick Anderson, is that the name of the shop or is that? No, Patrick Anderson's an individual and owner operator, but a wealth of knowledge, and he's our okay. dealer. Okay. Uh, sure. If you want to give it out over the air, that's fine. No, he doesn't. I mean, it's in the computer. So let me just bring that up. And what was the other one, Western something in, in Henderson? Western Truck Parts, and they're owned, owned now by LKQ. Let me give you oh, Western. Okay. Kevin, do you remember that phone number, how we talked uh, about that? If I really worked on it, it was pretty pretty uh, creative how you came up with that, but I, I don't think I can remember it. If okay. I would have used it once in a while, 303 I is 303 is Denver, right? Yeah. And then the 289 Ford Mustang engine. Great engine. And 3318 Detroit's. <laughs> Kevin, that was only less than 10 years ago I taught you that. Right. And had I used it once or twice in that time, I probably would have remembered it. Okay. And Patrick Anderson. Okay. I'm guessing he's a 307 number. He is. 307. That was a small block Chevy back in 68. I don't Wasn't remember that good one. Engine. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't remember that one. 221. 1753. 
Okay. Okay. I guess because the air compressor is under warranty, uh, is there a way to test it to ensure that the air compressor is bad, or do I just take it back and talk to Napa and say, hey, if, can you guys test this? I think it's bad, and, and see if they'll honor warranty or if they won't honor warranty. Now, Napa won't be able to test it. You better take that to uh, a Detroit diesel place and let them test it. Okay. And if uh, and if Detroit says yes, then you'll know that... Uh, yeah, I just got a text message from a guy here in Colorado. He may have a crankshaft. Let me see oh, here. That, well, if you you have my number, if you want to text me either his number or text or text my number to him, either or. I I I'll be honest. Uh, no, I don't know. He he gave me Western Truck Parts number. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> hey, Joe, I, know I already LK2. know that one. I've known that one. A, I've known that one for a long time. But thank you. <laughs> I know he's listening now. This is, a, I know this the, is the guy that's going to be our uh, keynote speaker at the owner-operator snowmobile conference that just texted me. Okay. Now, um, I don't know how deep the grooves are. I don't know how to even measure how deep the grooves are. They're in my crank, whether it can be turned out or not. But somebody said, uh, the, the guy who balanced my engine said that if you turn them, a lot of times you'll get into the soft metal and they'll wear quicker. So I'm only assuming that they're surface hardened or not through hardened. They're usually seventy-five thousandths deep camshafts and crankshafts, seventy-five thousandths. And they, it's not only that; it's if they don't do the fillet correct, then the crankshaft breaks. We have a tendency not to do that. If you can buy a crank that's ten under from Detroit, Cummins for several years had some factory 10 under big cam cranks and we use a lot of those but they came right out of atlas crank in ohio and they were just brand new factory cranks that were 10 under and they were never a problem but to have a machine shop do it i would stay away from that either price out a new crank or try to find a good used one yeah, now if this one is scored like it is on on number three rod, uh, is it worth anything on a core, or is it? Should I just be looking for a new one? So, you know, I'm not afraid of using a good crank, good used crank. I mean, you find a good used one, take it to the machine shop to magnaflux it and straighten it and polish it, and and you know we normally don't have. You know, that crank didn't foul. You had a bearing failure that damaged the crank. So um, new cranks are terribly expensive. You can even get them. Uh, I have never had a problem using a good used crank. That that's, I would look for a used crank. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't even know. I, I know new injectors are not available, but I don't even know if a crank's available or not, a new one. So, so well, so... Generally, like I said, we use good used ones. They have had good success that way as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll call. I know the LKQ in Billings does not have one, um, but I can I can check with uh, with Denver, and I know there's one. I think there's one in Spokane and in Portland as well. So I can check either the one Denver of them. The facility is huge. I know the guy Rob in Easton, Maryland, but that's a long way away to ship a crankshaft, and he has yeah. a lot of parts sitting there. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks a lot for your guidance, guys. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Pennsylvania this time. Charles, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Uh, I was wondering about the uh, CAT MBN bridge engine. I was wondering what you guys think about that engine and what modifications you would make to that to kind of free it up a little bit. Are you a listener to the show? I'm not, but I haven't heard you. I heard you talk about the MBN before. I know you like it, but I've it's been so so long that I forget okay. what what all you guys recommend doing to it. In the MBN, we need to reprogram and change the turbocharger, and that's it. And put a damper and balancer on it. Put the ported and ceramic coated exhaust manifold on it, and our bigger turbo, and it's a phenomenal engine. Okay. If you ever rebuild yeah, it, sure keep in mind the pistons, as, uh... the camshaft, and in, in the injectors are different. A lot of guys want to make it back to a 6NZ. I just leave it the MBN. Pete, aren't we still leaving them MBNs? Yes. Yeah, because there's nothing when, wrong with when when the, the program and put it, our turbo and manifold on it. It's a great running engine. Okay. That's simple enough. Yeah, I, I knew it had to wastegated turbo and all that. I, I assumed that had to go. I just didn't know what, what tuning and everything else that so all right yeah sounds like it that's all i had all right thanks for the call okay i have a net for the fellow from wyoming that needs a crankshaft uh joe dochef the uh our dealer in kremlin colorado said little ray's machine shop in commerce city colorado has a lot of good used engine parts and little ray's number is 303-484-1802 all right good stuff let's go to tennessee matt welcome hey good morning gentlemen what's on your mind today um um, the edison motors truck yeah. Uh, there was a call yesterday, but I know there's been previous calls on this show. Uh, let's see. How do, how do I word this? I'll put out a disclaimer first. <laughs> I think the guy's a genius, and what he's doing is extremely amazing for what he's doing it for. What I don't get is why anybody's talking about it in over-the-road application. That was kind of my opinion yesterday. I, I, I think what he's doing is brilliant, but, you know, it's funny because when we talk about stuff over the road, getting better fuel economy, aerodynamics, do this, do that, here's what I hear out of all the other segments. Oh, well, that doesn't work in our world. I, okay, so something works in your world. Let's go figure out what it is. Well, here's a guy who did. He took an, an extreme Logging is definitely one of the extremes, and he figured out ways to be more efficient. I, you're right. This guy is brilliant, and I think what he's doing is incredible, and I think we're going to learn a lot. He may be onto something, but almost none of what he is doing translates to the over-the-road market. No. So, yeah, I mean, on this truck they built from scratch, because he's done some conversions on older trucks, but the truck they built from scratch is specifically for logging exactly. off-road, right. extreme heavy-duty stuff. Right. They custom-built half-inch-thick frame rails. <laughs> yeah, okay. And his reason makes perfect sense. It's actually stronger and slightly lighter than doing a double frame. Well, there you go. So it, it makes sense. Right. 
people say it, the cab looks goofy. Yes, because they, they basically took a skitter cab, you know, or, or bulldozer for people that don't know logging. Right. Um, you can drop a tree on this cab. It won't hurt it. <laughs> Which, when you're that out logging. apply to over-the-road trucking. Get, yeah. which, when you're out logging, that can happen. But when you're on the highway, it's pretty rare. Yep. Yeah. So, see, see I, I, I actually love this concept of building a truck so specific for a job like this that it, it becomes really efficient and it makes sense and we don't compromise on anything. We, we build it for this job. I, I love that. And, you know, we've talked about that where I, I think we should be building more truck trailer combinations for specific freight that that is really efficient and we don't in this industry we tend to take one truck basically and try to make it do all kinds of stuff and it's just not efficient so i love this guy's idea but a lot of people are taking his ideas and going oh look see this is how we should build a truck over the road no we shouldn't we shouldn't build anything even close to this thing over the road kevin do you can you hear me kevin yeah go ahead bruce okay do you remember, I've talked about this truck a couple times, when we were a Marmon dealer, fellow from up in the Allegheny Mountains, young man in his early 20s came to me. Um, Pete, what's his name that we built the blue Marmon, the logging truck? I know you're talking about his name right now. I'm trying to get it. It'll come to me. But yeah. we did that. Um, and his friends all laughed because they said we overbuilt the truck. We did a 20,000 pound front axle a um, double three-eighths frame rail and 48,000 rears had a four-and-a-quarter seat cat and the 13 speed and his friends that laughed at that truck have gone through three or four trucks and he's still <laughs> on the same truck exactly <laughs> it still looks good i yeah. featured it in the magazine yeah and uh, yeah i mean so this truck has been running for coming up on 30 years wow now, i'm not saying wow. the engine hasn't been rebuilt and right stuff. right and it carries its own logger but he never sees a four-lane highway. Exactly. I and mean, he sees off-road and two-lane roads up north of Oil City, Pennsylvania. So, yes, when you specifically build a vehicle to do the job, I mean, uh, we've seen guys who will buy a, a freight liner with a quarter-inch thick frame and want to go heavy haul. Well, you don't yeah. do that. It, you know? Or when you're going to do a specific job. You build the truck for it. Here's another one I talk about all the time, and this one made me insane. But I, I used to get so many arguments with people about this. The, the trucks at FedEx, the FedEx line haul contractors, we all pull doubles. It's all, we, it's all you ever pull. It, it, once in a while, there's a 45, I don't even know, if they, maybe they have some 48-foot trailers now. They just didn't have a lot of big trailers. And once in a while, they would say, hey, you, you got to go get this trailer. And I'd be like, what's the weight? And they'd tell me, I'd go, I, I can't pull that. I got a single axle. They just find somebody else to do it. It, it wasn't even once a year. So to pull doubles, you have, a tandem axle is completely wasted. There is zero advantage to having a tandem axle tractor pulling doubles. In fact, there are disadvantages to it, a bunch of them. You, you got a big gap, you, you're killing your aerodynamics, the ride is worse, 
It, the maneuverability is worse. It's heavier. You got more tires, more brakes, more airlines, more differentials, more everything. And the answer isn't a six by two. It's a four by two. Build a single axle. When I used to tell these guys that you guys are wasting $10,000 a year on every truck you have because it's a tandem. And they'd say, well, well, what's going to happen if I have to go do something else with this truck? You know, you and I had this discussion 15 years ago, and you're still here at FedEx. Nobody leaves here. And if you leave here, go build a different truck. But you've been here all this time, millions and millions of miles running completely inefficient because you keep buying tandem axles. Makes no sense. I, Kevin, do you have – look at some of these new wreckers. Are they – they're – Tri drive and are some quad drives. I wonder what they're using for frame rails. These ultra big, huge, long records. I can't even imagine. I, I wonder if they're using double three eights or. Yeah, I don't know. Or, it's got to be heavy. Like Matt yeah. just said, a half inch. I didn't know there was such a thing as a half inch frame rail. Well, that's something you can buy. Not. or Did they just make that? <laughs> they made it. They made it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, well, they, they there's a heavy haul trailer manufacturer somewhere close to them that actually has a press that can bend the half-inch thick steel for, the for like, low boys yeah. and whatnot. They had them bend them the frame rails for the truck. Okay. So, yeah, there's just, to my knowledge, there's nothing available from an OEM other than double framing 3-8 thick. That, that's the heaviest you're going to get from an OEM to the best of my knowledge. Right. I don't know. You get into super heavy haul stuff that maybe there are more, but... On a, on when, a we sold, truck, when we sold Marmons, we never went thinner than a three-eight single frame, and that was because uh, at our original shop it was slightly uphill, and a guy came in, he was loaded, and I had to pull his truck up the parking lot. It wasn't a very steep grade, and I had in low gear when I left that clutch out. They had one of our performance big cams in it. I could feel that truck just buckling. And I said, oh, that's not good. Because, you know, when you come from the race car industry, if your frame is flexing, your suspension's not working. So, yeah. And I would hey, assume. Kevin, you, know, you know what else bothers me when I see a Freightliner condo pulling a drop deck or a low boy? I think, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Especially average over-the-road truck is only a 5.16 single frame. So you, yeah, we always three went three eighths and had zero problems. Yeah. Never had we never had a flame frame problem. And the other thing that Marmon did, they drilled their frame. Other truck manufacturers puncture their frame, and a punctured hole through a frame is a shattered hole, where a drilled hole is a machine hole. So Marmon had some great ideas. You talk about a tree falling on a cab and not breaking it. Well, that would be a Marmon too, because the the corners of the cab and the bunk and the roof were all extruded aluminum and i think it was an eighth or eighth inch thicker thicker very very strong cabs in those trucks so but they weren't light but you know there's an old saying it takes steel to haul steel well but, yeah that's, if you're getting into more heavy specialized stuff you you do need upgrades and that you know one other thing the Edison guys did they kind of a, he says, you know, double redundancy on almost everything in their truck. So they got, you know, the electric, which he's got an electric air compressor to build air, but then the regular diesel engine still has its air compressor. So if one ever fails, you always you got the other. Still got the backup. Well, that's great. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's great out in the woods because, you know, you yeah, right. don't want to be stuck for right. whatever reason. On highway trucks, that's, you know, an not extra that big cost. Of, yeah, it's not, and it's I not worth it. I don't know that it's necessary. Well, we can say it's absolutely not. With all of our experience with trucks, how many times has a compressor left us on the side of the road? Almost never. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. In four million miles, I put two in. And and so. you put them in as just kind of normal repair maintenance. It wasn't like a breakdown, right? Didn't yep. leave you on the side both, of the road. Both were in the shop, right. not on the side of the road. Exactly, yeah. That's because you're proactive. You know, there's people will call say, I won't replace a part of my truck until well, it fails. It, right. Oh, it's, that's the wrong thing to say to me. I, I, I don't like that statement. Yeah. You know, here's another one. We're, we're seeing more and more trucks on the road right now with, the, with house batteries, like RVs. You, you've got your starter batteries, and we're, we're seeing a lot of trucks that run house batteries with all the electrification. What I'm not seeing a lot of people do is put a bridge on those batteries so you can use them to start the truck if you need. I can do it on my coach. The how I have a switch right next to the driver's seat. I just hold the switch down and it pulls power off my house batteries to start the coach if I need it. If the, if the engine batteries, the starter batteries are fine, it'll start up. If those die for some reason, there's two of those. I have eight big house batteries. And all I have is a button right there to pull power off those to start if I need it. I, I don't see people wiring trucks like that. Leroy? Why don't you do a little research on that, and let's put that in an article. Okay. I can do that. Good idea. Yeah, okay. you just need an, an a great idea switch. Kevin. Yeah, it's an isolator so switch. It's fairly simple. All the time and, right. Yep. Right. You're carrying around all those batteries, and, and it's a good idea, but a simple switch, and you almost never need a jump start ever again. So, Matt, on your 2WS Cat, what gears are you running? Uh, I have 253 rear ends. 253. And what speed do you drive? Uh, 57, 58, around 12. Hey, and what, hey, hey Bruce. 30 RPM. And you, Bruce. Are you the, a 13 or an 18 speed? 13. 13. So you're in 11th gear. And what RPM are you at 57, 58? About 12, 30, right close to there. And on the level, what how many pound of turbo boost does it take you to go that speed? Uh, four-ish, somewhere in there is probably the average. And what are you averaging for fuel mileage? Uh, it was 8.43 or 8.46 for the... For the whole year. For the year. 8.43, I think wow. it was. Yeah, I just looked at it the other day. Is that incredible? I think you're the world yeah. leader. Isn't and, and what kind of truck's it in? Uh, uh, oh, a D600. The truck is an O2, but D600 uh-huh. Kenworth, and I pull, you know, my own reefer trailer. And, I mean, I've are got... You running a single, of, are you running super single tires? Yeah, wide single tires, but it is still a... a, a Six four by, by four. Six yeah. Truck, not a, yeah. Hey, hey, Bruce. Yeah, let, let's talk about some yeah. other numbers here from Matt. So that kind of fuel mileage, year average, you know, on a 2002 truck with an older engine is incredible. Uh, 
57 miles an hour. The first time you say that to somebody, oh, I can't drive that slow. I'll never get enough miles. I can't make any money. The average over-the-road truck now does like 110,000 miles a year. I think that's average in the industry, has been for a while since the uh, hours of service change, I think. Um, Matt, how many miles did you do last year? 154 or 6 or... So, so the average truck, and we know what the average truck is doing. It's outrunning the speed limit or as fast as the driver can get it to go most of the time. That's what most of the trucks in the industry are doing. They're driving as fast as they can most of the time and averaging about 110,000 miles. Now, here's a, here's a driver going 57 or 58 miles an hour almost all of the time and manages to get in over 150,000 miles. So tell me how slowing down and you can't get enough miles anymore. It's just not true. I feel, I feel sorry for Angie. He's never home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's I'm a whole nother home show. On Sunday I, I can't Monday, believe you. I can't believe you're going that far. All right, so let me ask you this: When you leave on Sunday, you're doing dedicated run, right? Yep. When do you leave? Like when? You leave on a Sunday. So I, Where do you have to deliver to? I leave Monday night. Okay. I have to deliver in Florida, Orlando area, on Thursday, reload Thursday, and then I got a multi-drop coming home, and I get empty early Sunday morning in Minneapolis, so I'm usually home. I, I get basically my 34-hour break in at home. So uh, Kevin mentioned it yesterday. My uh, worst tank for the year was seven nine four i think you know that was one of the things that caught my attention your, your fuel mileage is excellent no doubt but i was really shocked at how tight your range was well there's a couple of reasons for that but that, that shocked me too because i knew i'd had a seven five somewhere yeah last winter well i went and looked so that seven nine four was in January, and that was my only tank the whole year that was under eight. Wow. But the, the seven five I had in my brain, that was December the year well, before. So Yeah. Well, it, well you know, it, it does make more sense to me that your range is nice and tight because you're so consistent in what you do. You're running the same freight, same lanes, and same speed most of the time. So I guess it would be, but we don't see a real tight range like that very often. So the, the other reason mine is that way is I have extra fuel tanks on the trailer. I only get fuel once a week. <laughs> well, there so you go. Every fuel up is a whole week average. Yeah. Not, oh, nice. Most okay. people would be two or three fuel ups on that. That's a good point. That would make it more consistent. Yeah. So you have fuel tanks on your trailer. How are you getting it into the fuel tank on the truck? So I just electric pump. And that's wired to the reefer trailer, and then I just, I got a hose I got to drag out and drop in the tank of the truck and flip a switch and pumps fuel. I only okay, do it. I thought maybe you had it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought about <laughs> hooking it up so I could pump while I'm driving down the road, but, you know, if something ever went wrong and you're dumping fuel as you're driving down oh, the road. yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, they, they'd be all over you. But it, it, yeah, right. the pump. So when you, so you have a lift axle, correct? So you're no, I don't. Your drive axle, you don't. No, no, I still have a ton oh, screw okay. on the truck. Okay, all right. 
But yeah, so my hmm. pump is um, I got two 135 gallon tanks on the trailer, and I can pump one of them tanks in 20 minutes. So typically, it's when I'm backed into a dock, either loading or unloading. So it's not like it's even added time. Sure. It's just it's just happened to explain myself every time I buy fuel why I gotta <laughs> get multiple fuel ups yeah. at one stop because you know they won't they won't let you go over a thousand dollars or three hundred gallons or whatever their limits are and I gotta buy four hundred and some gallons every time I stop. You know that that that's bad enough on the truck side when you've got to do that, and it's pretty rare you've got big tanks, so that happens. I, I will tell you what makes me crazy. I stopped at a Flying J, and they have the RV pumps out front, which are nice. You know, trucks have their own pumps, cars have their own pumps, and a Flying J, a lot of the Flying J's RVs have their own pumps. Their limit on their diesel pumps is still a hundred dollars. My God, you can put more than a hundred dollars worth of fuel in a pickup truck these days. That's that only too, on, yeah. That's only on the card reader at the pump. Right. Yeah. Right. You got to go you in, went in and authorize it. Because well, yeah, that's I, the automatic well, authorization. Is that small? Well, well, exactly. Give me a break. A hundred dollars in an RV. <laughs> Come on. Like I said, there are cars and trucks that sometimes have to spend more than that. So it's just ridiculous. Um, I, I'm getting. I, my typical fill up on the coach is 125 gallons. But the reason is mm-hmm. somebody in a pickup will pull up, run their card, and you know they do the pre authorization, so there's a hold on the card. Right. Well, if it was five or six hundred dollars. They call and complain. I know they do. Why are you holding $500 on my card? I know. Um, Here's the other thing that makes me a little crazy, though. And I know it comes back to the bank and the authorization process. Okay, I put my card in. It pumps $100 and shuts off, which is a pain. I'm willing to go run my card again, except I can't. It won't accept it. You try to run it a second time, and it tells you you have to go inside. Well, if that's the case, I'll just go inside the first time and get... The authorization, which also makes me crazy on the truck pumps. If you have a credit card, you have to go inside. Why can't I just authorize this at yep. the pump? Yeah. Well, Same. with today's technology, why can't you punch in the number you want for <laughs> Right. Yeah, I know. So it, it just seems like... The guy like, that wants $100 can punch that in. Right. The guy that wants $1,000 can punch that, that in. That shouldn't be hard at all. It. Exactly. Shouldn't be hard at all. Yep. And have you noticed lately uh, on gas stations, uh, you put your card in, it won't read it, you have to go inside, or (laughs) I had one the other day, the pump was so slow at eight gallons, I had to shut it off. I stood there, and it was uh, five degrees outside, and I'm waiting and waiting, talking to another guy that rents snowmobiles, and I'm waiting. He said, yeah, a lot of these pumps are bad here at this station, and this is a come and go a fairly new station and it just Sheesh. irritates me yeah. that they don't keep stuff working yeah i agree how, yep. how many places you pull in now there's no no uh, thing uh the squeegee or oh, solvent yeah. to wash your windshield there's no paper towels it services yeah so hey, hey bruce did i tell you about you the inside, young kids young kids working in the, in the men's rooms a disaster paper all over the floor Bruce, did, did you hear the story I told about the tire lane at, at Love's, I guess, as the tire lane? You know, they have all those 
one of the fuel islands when you pull up to get i thought this was a brilliant idea one of the fuel lanes usually the one closest to the building when you pull up there are tire pumps at every position and they call it tire pass and you pay five or ten bucks and somebody comes out and puts all does the air in all tires all the way around the vehicle so one day i knew i had a low tire on the back of the coach on the tag axle and i needed fuel and i thought i'm going to use that tire lane how cool is that going to be and i'll pay five or ten bucks even though i only need one tire it's nice and convenient while i'm getting fuel they'll be putting air in my tires i'll be out of here so i pull up to that lane um you got to call in on the 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 box so i call in and they said all right pull up somebody will be right out so i pull up i start getting fuel i get done getting fuel waiting nobody's shown up yet it was a total of like 45 minutes I'm waiting. And when I go back in, they just said, well, we don't, we just don't have anybody. They must've spent millions of dollars putting that equipment in there and you can't use it because nobody's ever available to do it. So if that's the, make it self-serve then. My God, I'll pay just to have the convenience of the pumps there. I'll go do it myself, but you can't do that either. Incredible. It is. Customer service has gone to hell. All right, Matt, what else you got? Uh, that's all I got for today. I enjoyed the open with the investing, and you've seen Kevin. I sent you a text about it, but yeah, you, I, I caught on to what Bruce was talking about right away with the you, with the the rates of return being a total over multi, five years. Not multiple a, years, not yeah. Annual. Yeah. yeah. No, you, everything you sent <laughs> so. in the text was everything I was already saying. <laughs> yep. You didn't send, Matt, you didn't text me. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, always I don't willing have to your learn. number, but. <laughs> we'll have to fix that. So. All right. Yeah, yeah. I can get it. I can get, I get it. my number. Get it. Get, get it from Angie. <laughs> Angie has yep. my number. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, Matt, we'll talk to you soon. The calls are piling up on us. We're going to move along. We're going to go to Wisconsin. Brad, welcome. Uh, my pyrometer has been acting weird lately. It's on a 97 Peterbilt with a 5EK cat, and it's in the, in the manifold on the hot side. Have you changed the thermocouple? I have not. Okay, is it a Hewitt pyrometer, or is it an yes, it ISPRO? A, I bought it from you guys. It's a Hewitt. Okay. How many years old is it? Four. It's somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah, the place to start... Is with the thermocouple. What are they now, Pete? About thirty-six dollars. Uh, I can pull up an exact price for. You. I think they went up a little bit. And, and generally, we have good luck. What are what is the gauge doing? I mean, is it not reading right? Is it reading high? Um, what kind of problem are you experiencing? Just yesterday, about three, four hundred degrees. I wasn't exact because I wasn't really paying attention, but it would drop all the way to a hundred when I went stopped to. Put the fuel on or switch switch trailers, and then it would sit down there about 150 and kind of move up and down about 15, 20 degrees. Okay, so the, the probe's 43 or 62 bucks. They've gone up uh, a fair amount recently. Um, that's a good place to start. There, there's some really fine wires in, in the um, probe. If um, they get bumped, you have the manifold off for some reason. Pressure washes them. It can damage his wires and get false readings. So that's a good place to start. That sounds simple enough. But 
Jay Bruce, yesterday I heard you talking, isn't it uh, named after Hawkeye from MASH? No. Hawkeye Report? No. No? No, I started calling it the, the uh, Eagle Eye, and I don't know if it was Pete or who changed it to the Hawkeye. But uh, it was the employees changed it, and so when you, I like employees that can think, and so, and I do have a lot of thinkers, so they changed it to Hawkeye, and that's okay with me. You're not sure who. Do you know how it got from Eagle Eye to Hawkeye? I do not. I wasn't involved in that, and I I have no idea. Leroy, were you involved? Mm, No, I don't think so. Okay. I think that was something the guys in the shop. That was while I was gone, so. Okay. So, yeah. All right, Brad, what else well, you got? that's all I know for this morning. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's move along. Let's go to Wyoming. Max, welcome. Hello, Kevin. Uh, I've got a, a 444 big cam. I've talked to Bruce and Pete about this a couple of years ago, but I'm a... Uh, if I live long enough, I'm going to build me a truck. And uh, I was wondering if you could still get parts. Uh, the CPL on this thing is either 1280 or 1260. Uh, 1280. I can't see it. Great engine. I can't see it uh, really good. But I uh, I didn't have a truck. And over Christmas, I was up at my son's at Sheridan, Wyoming, and as I was leaving, I saw two old junk Peterbilts out in the pasture, so I stopped and bought them. But uh, I, uh, <laughs> I'm beginning to gather up some some junk, so I thought I might bring this thing to Pittsburgh or ship it out there. Uh, it's complete. It came out of a '88 Peterbilt at Lock Trucking in Wheatland, and they they just put a different. They put a big Cam 3 in it and just sitting in their shop, and I bought it. I've had it for a long time, but I think it's a victim of cavitation. Uh, but the jakes and everything are still on it, and the auxiliary drives all there. Um, but I was just wondering if uh, parts availability, and I was kind of wondering what it would cost for an outer frame or a general part ballpark figure. So we do keep the parts in stock. I keep a lot of big cam parts here, injectors, cylinder kits, gaskets, bearings, uh, the pumps in-house. keep most of them here. If you would do, you know, cylinder heads, connecting rods, cylinder kits, bearings, gaskets, pump injectors, turbo to set this up, you're probably going to have uh, twelve to 14,000 parts to do the job. Okay. Um, that, that, that's all, Pete? 12 to 14? That's just in parts. Now, that's not the miscellaneous. That is, we, if I would ship in the parts. It doesn't include oil and coolant and filters and the miscellaneous stuff. Um, but if you would buy, like I said, the, the cylinder kits from us and, and pump injectors, turbo, bearings, gaskets, that kind of parts. I was uh, thinking about bringing it to you and just let you do it. But So that would be... That would probably be approaching what twenty eighteen or twenty thousand. So I mean, if you'd want a in frame, is one thing. An out of frame gets really expensive. Uh, part of the reason is we send the block and crank out to get the machine work done, and we have thirty five hundred dollars worth of machine work minimum. Um, and then we change all the components because everything's taken off the engine. An out of frame, 
on a big camp, like if you bring me the engine, parts and labor, you're probably looking at high 30s for something like that. But there's not going to be a component that hasn't been gone through on that. It's either going to be new, reman, or rebuilt. Okay. I I used to rebuild gasoline engines, but I'm I'm not sure I could rebuild a Cummins. They look pretty simple. However, I put injectors in my Dodge pickup, and that didn't seem to be all that. Um, I got the problem that done. You have doing the NTC would be the specialty tools. I mean, you'd need a liner puller, you'd need a, a ring compressor. If you do the cam, you need a timing tool. So there's going to be a lot of tools you're just not going to have. And they're expensive tools to buy for a one-time use. So even though the engine is out, could you guys just do what an out-of-frame would be? This thing's not ever going to get driven a hell of a lot. So like I said, an out-of-frame would be if you'd bring the engine higher 30s, and like I said, every component's been replaced or rebuilt, and it's completely tore down. There's just nothing left on it. And the crank's on the deck, it's counterboard, it's line board. Um, the crank's oh, yeah. always straight magnaflux. I mean, you get into a lot of work there. Now, we can in-frame one. You can send us the engine and basically the block's in good shape, and we don't see any deck issues or line bore issues with the bearings. We can basically in-frame it on the stand you know, while the engine's out, and that would save you a bunch of money. Yeah, I could do an estimate for you. If you want to call after the show, I can get some information from you and do an estimate. Okay. All righty. Uh, I'm going to take one of these old trucks I just bought or get a different one and uh, put this, this, in, this truck that I just bought has got an A-model cat in it, but that wouldn't be a big problem changing to a Cummins, would it? Uh, and that, no, like an you're going mechanical or mechanical, that's not yeah. too bad. Okay. I didn't think it would be. Um, but anyway, I was just uh, wondering about parts availability, and uh, I'll give you a call in a couple of days, Pete, and I'll see whatever, uh, what questions you've got, and I'll try to answer them. Perfect. And I'll either ship it out there or bring it out, one of the two. Okay. We can do that. Okay. Well, um, I'm also going to put a five and four in this thing and see how good a fuel mileage I can get and compete with Joel. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, but anyway. Are you really putting a five and a four in here? I mean, are you considering that? Yes. Okay. Uh, I've got a five-speed with an overdrive in it. Uh, and I was going to get me a four-speed with an overdrive. Um, that's what I learned how to drive was a five and four. But this is you're just... In, you said you're in Wyoming. Do you have a... Do you have a heated garage in Wyoming? Yes, but it's not big enough to get this truck in. Well, it is. It, it, it'll, but I got a car lift inside the garage, and uh, uh, it would fit in there, but it would be really close. What's your age? 77. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're starting these projects. God love you. Oh, I've got a Landall. I've got a Landall traveling axle trailer out here that I bought sight unseen from Iowa, and it actually came out of Ohio. That has been quite the project. That is some rust now, but uh, 
I'm getting that kind of shaped up. But like today, it's it's like 10 degrees here. And the wind, Kevin, at between here and Laramie is 75 miles an hour today, I, just like it was I, when you were there. I, I had enough of that. 24 hours of sitting through that trying to drive on the road was enough. One time <laughs> is all I need. And the roads in Nebraska are shut down from uh, from North Platte all the way to Grand Island, I think it says. Yeah, but I'm... They're, they're snow covered. But yeah, I, I'm. I'm glad uh, I wasn't trying to come I'm, across the country this week. I'm. Uh, I still drive a truck for ABF, and I go to North Platte, <clears throat> Nebraska, and turn around. But they haven't canceled me for today. But I think they will before. Yeah, um, sounds uh, like it. Four o'clock. But, but anyway, all right. I'll let some. I'll let somebody else get on. But I'll give you a call in a few days, Pete, and we'll okay. we'll discuss this thing. Sounds good. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's get off to Florida this time. Tony, welcome to the program. What's going on, my man? Hey, Pete, Bruce, with not giving us any parking spaces to park at at the receivers, the least thing they can do is unload us when we get there. Now, on to my air compressor. I have a lot of oil on the front side of this pack car. It, it works just fine. No problems with the air compressor at all. Uh, could that be indicative of a major, it's dry oil, not fresh, you know. Uh, I think it's the engine plugs into it on the other side. So this is where the connections are on the pack car to the air tanks or wherever it goes to. Um, is it just a hose? And could that be causing a transmission failure where it like forgets what gear it's in and causes a uh, transmission fault where I have to take it, put it in neutral, it's an automatic, for a, a few minutes and, until it clears out and then put it back in D? Like, could they be related? I, I wouldn't think so. I've never heard that problem before. Yeah, I've got yeah. to take it and put it into D or in neutral and that could be going down fancy gap, uh, which I had to do the other day and, and just, just let it figure out what it's doing, uh, that figure out that it's not, you know, system failure. Okay. Got the red light in the gearbox. I put it back in D and then it clears out. Uh, I think it's a clutch cause it's got almost a million miles. But they say always, oh, yeah, let us come in and sit for a week, and we won't call you back when it's ready, and we'll, we'll take it into a dealer, and we'll see. I don't have time for that. Right. But, yeah, uh, like, should I replace the air compressor or just get it looked at, right? And it's probably just a loose hose. Yeah, for sure. That's what I would – I mean, definitely needs looked at, and, and you don't want to just throw parts at it. Um, could it be also – because I've got the original air dryer – I've just been lazy on putting it in. The thing froze up in Salt Lake, and it wouldn't purge and wouldn't build air, but then it cleared itself, and she got me out of there, and it's been fine ever since. It might be a little slow or make a little extra funny noises in there, but it, it still works. It, could it be because it's old? Yeah, you've had one warning. Heed the warning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't. Now, that word lazy, I got too lazy to do it. That that can sit you in the middle of Kansas or Nebraska at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you don't want to be there. Like it sat me on the so. turnpike when you saved me. Oh, um, could, I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. Could could it oh, make the guy oil the in the air compressor, though? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. 
Um, okay. Could it make oil come out of the uh, the business end of the air compressor though? Not having a a new air dryer, probably, right? I wouldn't think so. So I mean, I would you know take the discharge line off the air compressor and and, and pump the air down and fire the truck up, and put a piece of uh, cardboard there and see if it's spitting oil out. That's one sign the air compressor is starting to go. Any thoughts on this transmission? Mm-mm. No, I just don't have much experience with that. Oh, that's right. I forgot it's a pack car. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, I've got a Corvette for you. If you're in the mood for that little change of gears. Um, what um, do you think? Too, too, too old for that now. I'm more into luxury cars. I like <laughs> I like smooth and comfort. So um, uh, 30 years ago, I'd have been more interested. But I'm beyond, beyond the sports car thing anyway. Oh, that's good to hear. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I went smooth, quiet, and powerful. All right. Well, it's, it's but, been but a, a long time. I'm not saying that those, those brand-new Corvettes, I, don't, I have an eye on those, but uh, I haven't ridden in one yet, and I don't know what they sound or feel like. So good friend of mine, he retired from Caterpillar. He was a mechanical engineer. He has one, and um, I haven't ridden in it yet, but... Uh, my dad's got a 92, and every time I try to start it up, it's got a dead battery. So um, put a battery. Wondering what put a battery tender on, on it. Put a battery oh, yeah? tender on it. I have them on everything. So do I. I just talked about this yesterday. What's that? It, it's just a boy. They're cheap too. It's just a little plug-in trickle charger. It charges at about two amps, so it totally tops off the battery, which is a, a better charge. Um, and it just sits there for as long as you want. I've got them on the farm tractor over at the homestead and the little yard tractor. And I went over there yesterday. It's been cold. They've been sitting since October. Hit the key. And that's an old mechanical diesel fired right up. Batteries are fresh as can be. And yeah, they're, sure they're cheap. Digging into it and figuring out what's uh, causing the leak, right? Yeah, there, there's something drawing mm-hmm. off that battery. And, you know, that, that, that farm tractor has basically no electronics at all, so nothing really pulls anything off that battery, but it still makes sense to keep a, a battery tender on there and keeps it topped off. All new vehicles draw off the battery. The new ones really Electronics do. and yeah. things going. And if you're going to store them for the winter, you need to put battery tenders on everything. I have them on Harley-Davidson, snowmobiles, my little John Deere tractor. I used to use a little tiny one I bought at the Harley dealer, and I kept it on the Kenworth, and it kept those four batteries up charged. Yeah, they do. Charged I up. I mean, it, and, uh, it, it, it's... Yeah, uh, they're, they're great. And they are... Um, I'm looking at one here as cheap, depending on the size, down to like 40 bucks. The, the $60 chargers, like Bruce said, will even keep four big truck batteries topped off. Now, if you have dead batteries, you don't use this to try to charge them because it's only charging at two amps. It would take a week. But once the battery is charged, if you want to get it totally topped off, You've got to cut back on the amperage you're charging with and then just leave that little two-amp trickle charge on there, and they stay topped off. Bruce, you know the best explanation I've heard that, that explains why and how you should charge your battery like this? So a lot of the more expensive battery charger tenders have three stages. 
Some have four, like a jump start stage where it's giving you enough amperage to actually jump start the vehicle. Um, a full, you know, blast charging, which is pretty high amperage. Uh, moderate charging, which is less amperage. And then the trickle charge, which is typically about two or three amps. Take a, take a glass, like a water glass. Turn your faucet on full blast, and the more water pressure you have, the better it, it gives you this example. S leave it on full blast, stick that glass under there, and try to get it full. It's almost impossible. You, every time you pull the glass away, you've got two inches on the top that just won't fill up. It all splashes out because of the pressure. Well, if you hold it under there and then lower the pressure down, you can fill it right up to the very rim. That's how the battery chargers work. When you're cramming all those amps in there, it all spills out and you don't get that last bit of charge. But as you bring that amperage down, just like bringing the water pressure down, then you can top off the battery completely. Who told you that? I, don't, I read that somewhere. I don't remember. But as soon as I read that, I thought, man, that makes so much sense. It sure does. Leroy, do you agree with that? Yeah, it's not a bad analogy. It's a pretty good one. I mean, I don't know yeah. the, the the whole specifics of it, but yeah, sounds pretty good to me. I totally I missed it. I was trying to remember this last thing that I have to ask Pete about the transmission, if I may. What what about if there's you put it in D when you're first starting out in the day and it surges forward like pretty dangerously? You have to have your foot on the brake. I thought it might, you know, when they fixed the S cam bushings because they were leaked out. I had like three of them replaced on the drives. And it still does it. Isn't that clutch? But you still might not know because it's a pack car automatic. Yeah, I, I don't. I just unfortunately have no experience there. No, I Leroy, do you have any thought on that? No. Like Pete, I don't really know much about it. Yeah. Hmm. I don't have any ideas. I'll tell you who to call. Call Harlan at Sioux City, Iowa, Peterbilt. Yeah, I'll do that. Before I forget, though, you know that guy you sent to Cheyenne? I don't know if it's the same dealer. I guess it has to be. That's like the second can of diesel treatment that I got, and they brought it to me. I parked at that little marathon on I-25 exit 7, I think it is. I just parked there. He brought it to me, and, um, and there Heidi, was my Heidi, his wife will, will deliver it to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. I, I wasn't going to say it, but, yeah, it, it was her. Or maybe even his daughter. Don't know. Yep. They'll They're do good. it. They're good people. All right. I'm going to get back to the chess game, you guys. I ain't got nothing else. Thanks All a right. lot. Keep yeah. it up. This is a great show. I know there's other callers. Always we'll other callers. You. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to... Well, we're going to go right there to... Hold on a Hold on a second. That, that uh, analogy of charging batteries, that was phenomenal. And... Uh, Leroy, if you get a chance, look into that. Let's put that into an article also and maybe get it on the website because in 75 years, I've charged a lot of batteries, and I never knew that, and that's nice to know. Okay, will do. Good stuff. All right, right there in Pittsburgh, Ray, welcome. Hey, hey, guys. Uh, I, I, uh, my truck's in your shop right now. I'm sitting in a hotel in Butler. Um, you guys did a phenomenal job. You rebuilt my engine. I picked it up at the end of last February. So I just had a small oil leak, um, and I have a wiring issue that they're dealing with. They um, they think they got it fixed. So I was hoping for a little more 
information, but that's just probably me sitting alone in a hotel room. <laughs> but um, <laughs> hey, makes for a long day when you're sitting in a motel room, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dave, I, I, well, I I didn't want to bother Dave because you know I you guys are busy, and uh, but I called and left a message uh, for uh, Eric, and Dave called me and. Uh, today, I, well, that was this morning. I just kind of wanted to know how things were going, and uh, they did. He didn't have the exact information yet on what wire they found. I, I had a, which is not has nothing to do with the rebuild because uh, it's a 2007 T600 that I choose chose to to keep. I'm glad I did. The I understand engine rebuild that. so far. Yeah, engine rebuild so far is. Absolutely no problem. What, the, uh, what engine's in it? The Cummins. Okay. Uh, so, all right. Uh, so far, I have no problems at all. Uh, I have great uh, oil uh, samples coming back. And, and you know, I get a lot of, I wanted to kind of tell the world this. I get a, a lot of friends. I live in Kansas City. And they go, why do you go so far? Because I, I did a lot of research um uh, T&E is my company for any anything, but they don't do rebuilds, but they're really good at everything else. But I researched, you know, because, yeah, this is a long ways away for me, but I researched um, to get my engine rebuilt, and uh, I talked to three, four different companies in um, Kansas City, and I asked them questions that they looked at me like I had two heads, and I was like, yeah, never mind. And the questions I asked was, was like, okay, do you have your own machine shop? Well, no. Well, what machine shop do you use when I do a rebuild and I want my pistons and my rods balanced? And seriously, they look at me like I have two heads. And I'm like, you know what? Did you ask them about, did they replace the torsional damper on in front of the crankshaft? Oh, yeah. None of them even remotely understand that. And even before Did you asked them about liner protrusion and what they set the liner protrusion at. Absolutely. And they said, well, we just go by what it says. And I said, well, that's not always yeah. true. Yeah, there you go. You're, ask, you're asking the right questions. And it's that's nice to hear that. that you're asking those questions because everybody needs to ask that whenever another shop. What are you going to set my line of protrusion at? Are we going to replace it? You're going to replace the torsional damper and different things. So there's questions right, you need board. to ask, and you're doing it right. Do you have the tool to cut upper counter bores? Yeah, and and it, yeah, none of these questions were were answered. But but I've I've been in to Kevin and you guys for I've been to, I've owned this truck for eight years, and five years previously I worked for someone else, and. Um, rapidly realized I needed to work for myself. And uh, anyway, I've learned a wealth of information from you guys. And um, I just kind of wanted to spread that out. Because, you know, I got guys saying, well, well, you're insane. Why do you go so far? Why do you? Well, there's reasons I do what I do. (laughs) Yeah. Paul Paul comes from Oklahoma, too. And uh, we've had guys come from Calgary, Canada, for the same reasons. So. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, one one day I had a guy call from the South Hills of Pittsburgh. We're in the North Hills. He said, "You're too far away." I said, too far away. I said, "I got a good friend on Mercer Island, which is right outside of Seattle, and yeah, he is. comes." So, yeah. 
Yeah, that that, oh. that floors me sometimes. Or a guy will be crossing Interstate 80, and I want to come down to your shop, but you're an hour and 15 minutes south of Interstate 80. Oh, a whole hour and 15 minutes, right? Well, I wish I was an hour. <laughs> well, here, here's another example. You guys rebuilt my engine. We, we, I had an ABS module problem, and um, those things are $3,800 if you can find them. Well, you, you can't find them. Uh, Leroy got me one from a used truck. It's a Newark truck. Well, we we knew immediately that I'm going to have the light on because the ABS module works completely the same, only my 2007 doesn't have the stability control. So it wants to throw that code all the time. It's actually four different codes. Um, and it leaves a light on. The I call it the burnout light because, uh, oh, by the way, I'm the one that sends you the pictures. Uh, sent you the pictures. I have a lot of top fuel dragster friends that run top fuel dragsters, and I love the dragster with the um, max mileage uh, wrap on it that year. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Anyway, who, who does this? Okay, so I go home, and uh, uh, I get a hold of Leroy, and Leroy says, "Hey, uh, I, I, uh, I." pop the top off the your original ABS module and and I can fix it. And I'm like, I, I love you. Fix it. <laughs> I'll pay for the shipping. So they're doing that too. Uh, by the way, Leroy, I don't, I don't know. You're in the shop. Um, they put it in, but he needs to drive it. But this morning was just horrible as far as the roads. But um, they're going to try to drive it this afternoon. I know you bench test it. But uh, the DOT just doesn't like that light on. I had one issue where it took me a half an hour to explain, and I don't think he understood it. But uh, speaking of that, I, I can have it flashed, okay? The origin, that, that box, I can have it flashed. Well, I went to two different MHCs in Kansas City, spent hours. They look at you like you got two heads. I finally got one guy that understood what I was saying. Well, and he said, I think I can do that. Well, that's not reassuring. You think you can flash it and make it to the right year? Never mind. Uh, you know, that bothers me. Uh, when you know what needs to be done and the people don't understand you. And and I get it. There's a huge problem with labor right now. And um, But anyway, that's why I spend the money. I come clear out here because of the results. So I just kind of want to spread that. Spread that around the world. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, years ago, Debbie, my girlfriend, of 17 years now, and I think she works for the business. Years ago, a guy called and said, I want you to work on my truck, but I don't know how to get it there. And I said, Debbie, if you had a truck, and you drove a truck, how would you get it to our shop? She said, I'd drive it. <laughs> hey, Bruce, you know, well, I, hey. I, I, I was just thinking about well, this. My 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 coach, my yeah, RV is is critical to the business, but not nearly as much as somebody's truck is. <laughs> you know, if I have to travel some other way, I can travel some other way. But but I, I really like to travel that way. When I had the uh, uh, the Dutchman, the fifth wheel, again, you go back to planning your maintenance, not waiting waiting until something breaks, doing preventative maintenance, that kind of thing. I, I actually built a relationship with the factory itself. And I would take, I would just plan a trip to run through there 
And when I would go through, we'd take it into the factory. They would take such good care of us. They would go through and fix all kinds of stuff. And it was always a great experience. And when we bought the coach, because we lived out here, we bought a country coach because they're built here in Oregon. It's three hours away, but three hours is no big deal to, to run a vehicle down there once in a while and, and just plan for that kind okay. of stuff. So I, I, I don't see why more people can't figure out a way to get to a good shop when they need to. Well, hey, I, I need to add this. Um, I had my appointment last of 2023 was January 1. Well, I was nervous the last six months because, you know, the truck, she had a uh, 1.4 million miles on it. I lost the injector uh, like the first week of December. So I couldn't drive it out there because it was dumping oil or fuel in the oil. So I had to put it on a truck. Now, we know a lot of people in the industry. So I got a great deal, but I had to put that truck on, on, on the, uh, the back of another truck to have it hauled out to you guys. And well, that was additional money. Yeah. But and I got, like I said, people I know are like, you're stupid, you're nuts. No, it was the best decision I ever made. Oh, and Kevin, Kevin, been listening to you for a really long time. Uh, it's taken me eight years to actually do the right thing with my health. Uh, I fall off the wagon. Uh, I've got, you know, I've lost 60 pounds. I've lost Excellent. 70 pounds and whatever whatever happens in life. But right now I'm down 120 pounds and I will never change. Wow, congratulations. That's incredible. I went from 367, and I just weighed 247. Wow. You lost a whole person. Wow. Yeah, I lost a whole wow. person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was like carrying Holy somebody cow. around on your back all day long. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I did a lot of damage to my body, I'm sure. But, but, but don't, ever, anyone that's hearing this, it's never too late. Just turn it around. No, and, and the incredible thing about you? about our bodies is they're they're resilient, and even when you do this late in life, your body recovers quite a bit and repairs a lot of that damage. I'm 58. When they, you're what? I'm 58. 58. I heard, Kevin, that we every seven years our body has all new cells. There, There is a... Boy, I haven't seen this in a long time. There's a list somewhere about all the different cells in your body and how fast they replace themselves. Like your stomach lining is every couple of days. Some some organs oh, are. I want to I want to mention this. That's the the biggest thing that I have realized. Um, some of the things that the biggest uh, advances that I've made. Uh, I, although I eat eighty five to ninety percent meat, the biggest advances is I use. No, I'm not plugging this, but I use AG1 and a couple other products for probiotics, and it's the best thing you can do. If you clear your gut up, it's amazing. I'm going to push back a little on the AG1. Probiotics, I'm all for, and I, I get AG1 as probiotics and prebiotics, but it's got a lot of stuff in there we don't want. There's an awful lot of oxalates right, Kevin, in there. I need... I, I need some new probiotic. Which one do you prefer? Um, I like the spore based in our store from Enviromedica. Yeah, I've been doing. I I like that too. Yes. Yeah. So I I get the AG one as probiotic. Refrigerated. No, no, not this one. The, the pro the pro the uh, AG one for me is just I'm on the road a lot, and I just get a lot of stuff that I like. I said, eighty five percent meat. Um, oh, by the way, you got your truckers. Uh, You'll feel so much better when you pass up all the 
crap in the truck stops, pass it all up, go buy a banana and an apple. You, you'll be so you'll be so satisfied and so proud of yourself. So the banana's pretty high on the glycemic index. Are you okay with bananas, Kevin? Uh, if you're metabolically if you're metabolically healthy. So if you're still diabetic, if you still have a one high A1C or high fasting blood sugar, I would stay away from fruit until you get your metabolism. I eat fruit every day, usually just one piece, right. one banana, one well, apple. I don't have, I don't, I've never had that problem. Yeah, right. yes. But, but if somebody's and still my, diabetic or they're my still... My chiropractor is two years older than me, and I've been seeing him since 79, super healthy guy. And he said, put peanut butter on the banana. And, 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 peanut butter He's on the right track for a reason. He's adding a lot of fat and some protein, and that slows down the digestion, which slows down the blood sugar spike. That's what he's doing with the peanut. Right. That's what I was going to get to. The idea is correct, adding the fat and the protein to slow it down. Um, I would still say, though, if you are metabolically unhealthy, that don't even do that. It might slow down the release of those sugars, but you're still getting all of those sugars. And, and that's what we want to avoid when somebody's still diabetic or trying to lose weight. But once you get metabolically healthy, you reach your target weight, your blood sugar's completely under control. I, I like fruit, so a piece of fruit every day is just fine. But uh, for a lot of people, I tell them, no, just skip it. Way better than buying Little Debbie's. Oh, well, no, there's no doubt about that. But we, we have gone way beyond, <laughs> uh, for me anyway, I, I go way beyond... You know, I, I'm not going to make that comparison to Little Debbie's because if you're still eating Little Debbie's, go somewhere else. I mean, don't talk to me. We're in the yeah, wrong but universe. But that's what truck drivers do, Kevin. Well, I know. And if that's the case, they should go somebody to somebody else for their advice. I mean, if they've listened to what I've exactly. said and they're still going to eat Little Debbie's, that, that's fine. You get to eat whatever you want, but you probably shouldn't listen to me. I mean, we're, we're way beyond that. Exactly. I, I'm not... I don't want to tell people this is a little better than that. I want to tell people the way to be optimally healthy. And, and it just requires skipping about 98% of the food that exists in our country. Exactly. That's, but I couldn't have done this without the advice over the past eight years, which I've had great results. But the problem is. It's kind of, it's like you fall off the wagon, so to speak. You, you know, it's but, interesting. I, I, I never really had that with the food. I've talked about that. I went grain-free and never looked back. I mean, I, a couple times in the very beginning, I would try grains again. That I have not, other than white rice, I haven't eaten a grain in 10 plus years. I, I just don't cheat on that at all. I eat very little sugar. Well, and- um, the eating part has been easy for me. me. Well, yeah. well, hold on. The eating part, for some reason, was easy for me. I got it. I understood the benefits. I just never cheat. And I love the food that I eat. Now, I've developed the, that stress buster protocol, which is awesome. It took me two years. Um, this week, Lisa's been working on finalizing that and getting it all formalized and printed. And she did an amazing job at it. But I look at it and go, Wow, that's really simple. It took me two years to come up with that. But that's the point. It, it took a long time to take a complicated issue and bring it down to a simple solution. But here's the problem I'm having. I can't stick to it. You know, I, when people call me, you know, I, got, I had all these benefits. I was eating great. And then I just fell off the wagon. Th- that never happens to me with food. 
but it always happens to me with this stress protocol. I know it's good for me. It's really good for me. I feel better. I have tons of energy. Everything is better when I do my stress protocol just three times a week. I don't even have to do it every day. If I can just do it three to four times a week, I feel incredible. And yet, here I am. I haven't done it in over a month. I, I, I don't know why. I get it. I, it is. It's, but you know, why did it take me? Why did it take me this long? I know. To eat I, the right thing. I know. Some of it is knowledge. We just didn't know. Well, now we know. And so the food, like I said, I've got that. I know that this stress thing is good for me. I can't make any excuses. I can't say I don't have enough time. It only takes an hour a day, and I easily have an hour available every day, no matter how busy I am. And yet, I, I will fall off the wagon and make all kinds of excuses, and, and that's the one part I haven't figured out yet. Still working on it. Kevin, you fall off the wagon? Uh, on this one, I do. I, I, hey, we all do. I know. I know. So I'll figure it out. Hey, you know, it's like a, the, the guy calling. Like, what's your first name? Uh, Ray Raymond. Ray Raymond. We have a bakery in Oakmont. The counter's like eighty feet long, and they make the phenomenal lady locks. Man, if I Pittsburgh, I'd take you down here to show you. Every time I walk through that place, I said, "This is a sinful place," but I come out with a box. <laughs> you can't. You can't. That's like taking a heroin addict into an opiate. Exactly. Field. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I I tell you, their lady locks are just second to none. And uh, I'll eat one walking out the door, and I'll sit in the car and eat it. Before yeah, there you I go. Hey, you know, for Christmas, so. for Christmas uh, and I know Kevin will hate me for this, but, you know, you see family, and you're over at family's house. And, and you know, um, someone, someone in your family, they spent a lot of time, and they made the little the – little, uh, tiny sandwiches on the Hawaiian bread bun. And, and you know, they, they look at you, and, and, and also I ate one. I, and, I, and I know I don't eat bread, but I did. I ate one just to make them feel good. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't do that. I don't want to explain myself. I, 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 yeah, you know? I, I, I don't do that. I, I know you just walk I, and I should. Well, that, you know, I've talked about this before. You, you go out to dinner with people and I, I was just on that trip. I went out to dinner a lot, a lot of business meetings, multiple people going out to dinner. You can sit down and eat. You could smash a bag of Doritos, a bunch of marshmallows, a couple chocolate bars. Nobody says a thing. Really? Nobody ever comments. Oh, I won't like, eat that. No, I'm saying you could. You could eat that kind of food in front of people. Nobody will ever say a thing. When I'm at dinner oh, and I, I, I only have them bring me meat, don't bring me the vegetable, don't bring me the potato, don't bring me the bread, here's what I want, two servings of meat instead. People go insane. They lose their mind. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to die from that. I, really, you were fine with me eating the Little Debbies and the marshmallows. You never said a word about it. Now that I'm eating real healthy food and look at me, it's pretty obvious this might be working. I'm pretty healthy for my age. No prescriptions, no problems, not overweight, lots of energy. And yet people will, will comment on this every single time. You're going to eat all that meat and all that fat? Aren't you afraid of a heart attack? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's fat. It's, oh, oh, Kevin, you're going to kill the world because cows I know. Are. I know. 
<laughs> yeah. Hey, oh, Kevin, you don't eat, that. you don't eat vegetables like green beans and broccoli. Um, I, now that I'm home, I'm eating them again. But I will tell you, on this trip, two months. Ninety-nine percent of the food I ate on that trip was was animal products only. Meat, meat, fish, and eggs. Nothing Absolutely. else. Absolutely. No vegetables. No starches. No breads. I've lost one hundred and twenty pounds, and I'm telling you, it's eighty-five, ninety percent meat. Yep, it's the healthiest thing you can eat. And uh, the, here, I, I I had a great conversation. I, I chose Hamilton Inn because uh, Pittsburgh Tower has a discount, and uh, I can walk. Uh, there's like six places to eat, none of them which I will eat at. I chose to walk to Applebee's because I know they serve steaks. Well, I didn't understand that I'm not in the Midwest. I'm from Kansas City where steaks are freaking good. And uh, so I go to Applebee's and I said, I just want to order this ribeye. It's the highest fat steak they had. Right. And the lady looked at me, well, don't you want anything else? And I'm like, no, I just, <laughs> just bring just me the steak. Right. And, uh, I took three bites and I'm like, I didn't say anything. I paid for it. I'm not, not gonna, I'm not that kind of person that, you know, you, it's not the people who serve right, you. Right. Right. Um, and she said, well, she said, you obviously don't like it. You've only had it. I said, no, I, I said, I'm from Kansas city. And she goes, Oh, she goes, yeah, I have to admit they got really good beef there. And I said, yeah, I can't. <laughs> Uh, I don't know where we got, we, get to their beef, we got spoiled. We go to uh, it's horrible meters now. Whole Foods, Whole Foods, and buy their their prime. Not is it prime? Is the prime the best? Yeah, no, prime is. Um, yeah, prime is. Prime is the best. Yeah. yeah, and so I don't eat steak at a restaurant now. And whenever we do hamburger, we try to buy their prime burgers. Yeah. And even Sam's well, Club, we I like their prime beef. Yeah, Kevin, do I we have any told. other calls? Because we really got away from trucking, and, I, and it's we, okay oh, with sorry. me. We do. We have one more. We have one more call. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Good stuff. Let's go to uh, Indiana. Ed, welcome. Hey, I'm the one more call. You are. Hey, uh, this is Ed from Indiana. Uh, Bruce, I talked to you and Kevin at uh, the NASA convention, and Kevin, I saw you at the NEST training too. I didn't get a chance to talk to you, but I, I was there. And, um, you know, you're talking about guys getting to Pittsburgh power. I can claim that last year, twice, I bobtailed 500 miles one way to come up there to see you guys so you could work on my truck for me. So as long as the truck will run, there's a way to get it there. Yeah, and even if it doesn't, there's a way to get there. Uh, and, and I was happy to do so. And, uh, and, and since I went to the uh, NASA convention and the NES training, I did go through their new insurance or their uh, application to get my own authority started, and I've got insurance, and my authority should be going live Friday of this week. But the only problem now is now my truck's broke down, <laughs> and uh, that's what I was calling in about. I think I have an injector issue. Last week when I was driving it, I was going down. Uh, when I was going downhill, it was running great, idling fine. I would go downhill and it would be fine coasting, but as soon as I started to roll back into the accelerator, it would start cutting out and missing. And it would do that for a little bit and then it would pick up and run fine again until the next time I coasted down a hill. Um, I got it home, I ran an injector cutout test on it. Everything acted like it should be until I got to cylinder three. And when I cut out cylinder three, I could hear a change in the motor, but it wasn't as definitive as when I cut out the other five cylinders. And uh, also at the same time, I noticed I could hear a ticking noise 
came the top end that sounded like it was coming around the cylinder three or four area. And now it's real hard to start. When I go to start it, it, it cranks for a long time. And when it does start, it starts like it's zero degrees outside until it, for just a few seconds until it finally picks up and then it's sitting there and idling okay. So I don't know if that's all symptoms of a bad injector or what you guys think might be going on there. What engine, what year? Oh, I'm sorry, it's a 1996 N14. Pete, does that N14 have that coolant kit fitting on the back of that gear pump? They do. So there's a uh, test you would run. So if it is bleeding off fuel at, at the, um, and it could be a couple places, but on the ECM cooling plate, they have a check valve to hold the fuel in place. If it okay. bleeds off, it can cause a starting issue. Um, okay. And one way you test it, you actually threw a fuel pressure gauge right into the soundoid. No hoses or anything, just right there. You fire the truck up, you get the air out of the system, you let it sit for a while, then fire it up. And there's a spec of how many pounds of pressure you're to have in so many seconds. Okay. Uh, determine if, if there's any issues with either the pump or if it, it's sucking some air. Um, one way on those fittings, you could actually take the fitting off, and you should be able to blow through it one way but not the other. If you can blow through it both ways, then that check valve's bad. Okay. Now, do you know do you know what check valve we're talking about? It's right on the top of the gear pump, and it faces backwards towards the cab. Yeah. You want to yeah. take that out and do what Pete just said. Okay. Um, I do have a fast system you on know, there, and I've, I've got a fuel pressure gauge to put on. I haven't put it on yet. I still need to put that on. Um, I've, would that also have anything to do, is that just the, for the starting issue, or would that have anything to do with that injector cutting out after a coast going back into under power? Um, it depends on how bad it's sucking. Now, so that'd be bleeding off if you're sucking air, which is a, a different problem, but if you have a fast system, it really can't be sucking air. Okay. Um, so. You know, if the truck was here, I would check the fuel pressure, the fast system, and, and basically doing that to start rolling stuff out. You know, if we don't have any mm-hmm. fuel pressure issues to fast system, okay, we know it's not the fast system. Let's not worry about that. Let's check the fuel pressure of the Cummins pump. Is there an issue there? Um, no, okay, that's not it. Then, you know, we would check the check valves and, and continue on. But, uh, N14s are sometimes funny with the injectors. They're, they're a good, durable engine. Injectors can be an issue. Um, sometimes when we have an injector come-and-go issue, I will fill the fuel filters up with Lucas upper cylinder lubricant, which is a uh, cleaner, and actually run okay. the truck on it and see if that helps anything. Sometimes the injectors okay. can up. Are you, uh, are you, every time you fill up, are you putting some Lucas and max mileage in? Yes, I am. Okay, that's good. As soon as you started mentioning the problem... I said to myself, if this was a big cam, I'd replace that coolant kit fitting. And then you said N14, and Pete said it's got the fitting. So replace that fitting. Okay. I I did have a problem a while back where the truck, I was actually bobtailing home just a few miles from the house, and the truck started cutting out. And uh, the next time I started it up and tried to drive it down the road, I mean, it was pretty much not drivable. And before I started ruling things out, I noticed that leaking fuel on top of the fuel pump uh, where that little screen is. So I took that out, and that little screen was actually had metal shavings in it. So hey, I kind of figured... Is this, an, is this a mechanical N14? No, this is an electronic one. 
But what I did I for that they had that I, screen on there, that little screen on the top. On the fuel pump? Yeah, it's just the gear pump, right? Wait, well, yeah, you know what? I got a fuel pump here. Let me go look at it real quick. Hold on. You're saying the screen on top of the fuel pump, that was a small cam and big cam mechanical item. And on your N14 electronic, that little screen, I shouldn't be at that screen and that cap. That cap's about an inch and an eighth in diameter. Yeah, and you just take it off with a flathead screwdriver? Yeah. The, the screen that I think you're referring to, Bruce, is in the body of the big cam pumps. Right. Okay, so on the N14s, yeah, they don't have them. It's just basically a front cover and a gear pump and a solenoid. But you don't have that. Mm-hmm. Green, um, this this one does. He's it's got, got it. Like a, a cap on top and a flathead screwdriver to to uh, to pop it out. Yeah, I just looked at one I have on the shelf here, huh? It's right. It's yeah. right in front of the fuel shutoff solenoid. Are you an 1844 CPL? I uh, know it's a 2025. Well, it's not a 96 engine. Hmm. 2025, wasn't wasn't that a 98, Pete? Yeah, that would be that the latest. That was the best N14 right. made. Hmm. hmm. As, far as, I'm, as far as I know, it's never had another engine put in it from the factory. Or, I mean, another engine swapped out in it. You got it. You have a, a Select Plus, right? Yeah. Yes. That truck should have came, if that truck's a 96, should have came with a select. Do you think it might just be a bleed, fuel bleeding issue, bleeding off the fuel pressure? That's my yeah. usual thought but, without seeing the truck. That, that's where I'd start. Okay. Okay, well, when I get home tonight, I'll take that valve cover off, and I'll look around in there and see if anything, if something looks loose, and, and maybe we'll go from there. And I'll send you a picture of that fuel pump in, also. In the meantime... You're out today. Stop at a Cummins distributorship and get that little fitting. Okay. Which, right. Wait, which fitting was that? That's that coolant kit fitting that's on the top of the gear pump. That when it's screwed in, it faces to the rear. Okay. Okay. And that bleeds. I can do fuel, that. That bleeds fuel off the gear pump to keep it cool, and that's why the check valve, so that when you take your foot off the throttle and you're coming down a hill. That doesn't allow the fuel to go the other way because the, when the fuel is going the other way, if the fuel comes back through into the gear pump, it's aerated, and then you're filling the system with air. Okay. So that's a very important little fitting. Okay. That's the number hmm. one thing we replaced on big cams whenever we had that hesitation at the bottom of a hill. Okay. So that so that sounds like that could be something to do with the fitting with that fitting also the way it the way it wants to cut out as soon as I start rolling back right. into it after coasting. That's exactly right. Your system's filled with air because that fitting could be bad. The check valve inside uh, the fitting's bad. Okay. Well, good. I All right. A good place to start then. All right. Well, I appreciate the time, guys, and yeah, I'll send that picture over this evening. All right. Hey, and if that fitting fixes it, buy a spare and just keep it in the truck. That way, you'll never need to replace it. I'll put it's it right next to my tiny little thing, so just put it in a little baggie and put it in your glove box. Perfect. I'll put it right next to my spare shutoff solenoid and my spare cam position sensor. There you go. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. We're, uh, we're going to grab another call with some comments about that. We're going to go to Ohio. Kyle, welcome. Hey, how's it going today? Good. 
Um, I got a 2025 M142, and it would hesitate. It wait, would miss, wait. Uh, when so, you're trying to build boost there. Say that again. You have what N14? I got a, a CPL 2025. Oh, got it. Plus, okay. Five and a quarter. And it would miss when you're trying to build boost there. And then once you would build boost, it would be fine all day long. And it ended up, ended up being an injector. So I don't know if that helped that guy out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It would, my truck also stopped running real good and it would barely idle and end up being the fuel pump. But uh, it's got a fuel pressure gauge on the side of the pump there. You could check that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got mine's got a screen too on top of the pump too, so it does. <clears throat> yeah. Well, well, Pete, yeah. when you get that email, send that on to me so I can see that. I sure will. All right. Good That's stuff. All, I have for you guys. all right. Hopefully thanks for the. Thanks for the call. All right, we're going to wrap this up for today. We uh, we dropped out there. I did. I don't even know if you guys noticed. You were still talking. Um, I was totally disconnected from the call again. My internet went out completely again, uh, which also means our live stream had a had an interruption there. But uh, I think we're back on track. I'm back here. The live stream's working. Uh, I've got some good news about this. Um, We've narrowed all of our technical problems down to two things. The phone systems, and we have no control over those. When they have a problem, there's nothing we can do. Uh, We're building our own phone system. Well, we're building a non-phone system. Our system is actually going to be interesting. It's not using phones. You're you're still going to pick up your phone and press a button to talk to us, but it's not using a phone line to do it. We're using voice over IP. Uh, So we're working on that. We should, our schedule is to have it launched by the end of this month. We're testing every week now. And on the internet, I have equipment that may be here right now to do today. um, That is going to give us multiple redundant backups on our internet. We'll actually have four different connections when we're here in the house. And we'll have either three or four different internet connections when we're in the coach. So not much chance we should lose internet after we uh, upgrade the system. And once we have control over our phones, uh, not only will the quality of all the calls go up, but we should be able to eliminate all these annoying technical interruptions we seem to have these days. So uh, that's my close. Anybody have anything else they want to say? We didn't even know you were gone, Kevin. Hey, yeah, that, this was a this was an easy one. I was able to reconnect without a lot of disruption. But we also lost our live stream for a couple minutes. Wow! And I just uh, I know sometimes you're being I'm into health. I I don't mind when we um, talk about health a little bit and then get back to trucking. And if it bothers other people, uh, just let us know and we won't do it. But uh, if you like it. Let us know that also. Bruce, here, here's the problem. No, I, I deal with this constantly. When you ask that question, you will get no help because you'll get a whole bunch of people that say, oh, no, I love it when you go off on tangents and tell stories and get into other things. But then you'll have another group of people like, oh, I hate that. If you keep doing that, I'm going to I'll never listen again. OK, now what do I do then? I got a whole bunch of people that like it when we do that. Okay. I have a whole bunch of people that hate it when we do that. So now what do we do? It happens every time. Yeah. So we just do the best we can. We just do the best. I was talking to a fellow the other day, you know, uh, about, hey, at 75 years old, we have some little things going on with the body. And, uh, and I was telling him I'm snowmobiling with this group, but I'm 20 years older than (laughs) everyone else in the group. And, And he said, 
my father's the same age as you, and he just wants to sit in a wheelchair and be pushed around. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> I'm not <That's>, complaining. <laughs> yeah, no, big difference. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was supposed to be skiing in Winter Park right now with the group, but I decided to let them go because it's cold <laughs> and I wanted to do the radio show. That's right. That's <laughs> and they're right. all younger than me, too. <laughs> they said at dinner last night, they said, and you blow our doors off on every slope. I said, well, no, 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 I'm not, not really. It's just on my type of skiing. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Anyway. Health is important. You can't truck and you can't do anything. We don't have help. That's right. And that's why we do spend time on it. But you're right. We, there, we, we try to keep our shows as segmented as possible. That's why we have a couple of days where it's a free right. for all. You can talk about whatever you want. We have a day of maintenance. We have a day of health. We have a day of efficiency. Uh, if I had more time in a day, I'd put more shows in. I'm just running out of time. Yeah, time. That's why I don't get to listen to your health shows. Time is, but is that every Wednesday? Every Wednesday, all health. Yep. I have, I have to try to get on there every Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, Kevin. Thank you for everything. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your knowledge and uh, giving us the time. And uh, we're all in a great industry, and it's a wonderful industry, and it's a great place to be. Absolutely. We uh, we, we love all your support. You heard help. the guy in Wyoming just bought those at two peats, and he's 77 years old. <laughs> you take people that work for companies, and they count the days until they're 62, and they can't wait to retire. And God, in our industry at 62, you don't even think about it. And, and Bruce, so many, I, we've talked about this in the past. Our, our typical work retirement is insane. You, you work your whole life. You wait for that time when you can retire. People who are employees, um, they retire. It's good for a little while because you get that break. You finally have some control over your own schedule. You can relax some. Almost everybody I've ever talked to gets so bored and unless you're just loaded with money, there's not a whole lot you can go do. You can't go golf every day. Um, it, the way we retire, I think, is, is bad for everybody. And you see people die not long after they retire. I, I, as humans, we yeah, need a purpose. Months. We need a reason to get up in the morning. And if it's not a job and, and you finally get to retire from your job, find something else to go do. If you, if you, if you don't need money, go volunteer, start a small business, do something, give yourself a reason to wake up in the morning. Kevin, even people with a lot of money get bored. They do. I know. That's what I mean. Down in Florida, they're, they're working in grocery stores, Home Depot, Lowe's love, love these old retired people because they show up, they're honest. Yeah. They have all this past knowledge and, I ran into a guy in uh, Home Depot in uh, Punta Gorda, and he used to build golf courses. He was an engineer. He said, there's there's not a machine that's used to dig dirt on a golf course that I haven't run. And <laughs> here he is, working in the garden department, because he retired. Another fellow built custom homes, and he's pumping, he's, uh works at a fuel dock in, uh, for boats and and I said, why are you doing this? He said, oh, I meet a lot of neat people, and I just got so bored. Yeah. And he said, between the golf and the beach, I just got bored. And I have a friend that had a, 
small trucking company in Pittsburgh, and his wife's selling real estate in Fort Myers, and he's down there now. And he's 80 years old, but very healthy, and he is bored to death. So, you, you know, people in our industry don't get bored. You know, you can park your truck for a while. You can go to Costa Rica. You can go to Belize. You can go to Arizona for three months. But you take an owner operator away from his truck for three months, he can't wait to get back in that thing. You know, I, so. I, I think. You know, if you want to retire in your 60s, which seems to be, you know, the target for most people who are employees, if you're if you're reasonably financially set and you should be. Dave Ramsey just posted this the other day. I talk about it all the time. All you have to be able to do throughout your working career is invest one hundred dollars a month and you will retire with over a million in that account. Put it in the S&P 500, like we were talking about today, one account, one investment, the S&P 500, a hundred bucks a month over your lifetime, and you're a millionaire when you retire. And you know what but I you would- You gotta start that when you're 19 or 20. In your 20s, yeah, to make the math work, you've gotta start. Yeah. And if you wait longer, then you're just gonna have to put more and more in to get there. The longer you wait, the more you're gonna have to put in. But if we could teach people to do this, a hundred dollars a month, even when you're making minimum wage and you're 19, is easily doable. And then as you grow, you should be able to contribute $100 a month. By the time you get to your 30s, you shouldn't even notice that anymore. But here's what else I would plan on. If you can retire in your 60s and you got a million dollars in your account, which isn't all that hard to do, why not start a business then? It doesn't have to be a full-time, you know, high-intensity business. There's all kinds of things you could do that would give you a purpose and probably generate more income for you. Then you can really go out and enjoy yourself. Hmm. That's my take anyway. All right. Yeah. We're going to wrap this up. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. As always, we appreciate you guys. We will do this again next week, and we will see you back here tomorrow for... Destination Health. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.